Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm from the American Federation of Variety Artists. Actually, I'm from the Confidential Committee on Moral Abuses. There's been some reports that the management have been taking liberties with the artists in this place. Have you felt yourself to be exploited anyway? Have you ever felt exploited by the Cinemodities restaurant, Zach? (laughs) (laughs) Every single day. Did uh, To get hired here, were you asked to do something that you didn't want to do? Or maybe did something you didn't want to do? (laughs) I've never agreed. What the fuck is that scene? Yeah. Why Why is he putting on a voice? It makes no sense. My literal note is, why is Harrison Ford putting on a nasally voice? He knows this person can see him, right? <laughs> like, wh- what is he hiding? It makes no sense. <laughs> I, I There's a lot about this movie that makes no sense. Oh, God. Ain't, ain't that the truth? So, we have to get it out of the way. If you could tell, of course, from the title, there's no mystery there. But you're all probably wondering, well... If Blade Runner is kicking off this new month of Cinemodities, what's the topic of this month going to be? What's the series going to be? And it's actually a fort month, the Blade Runner fort month. Every week, we're going to watch a different cut of Blade Runner and hope Zach and I don't die while doing it. (laughs) That's the series, right, Zach? We haven't changed that or we just changed that? (laughs) Spoiler alert, folks. We don't make it. The podcast (laughs) ends halfway through this month. Oh, I was about to say after this episode. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> no, of course. I had to I had to joke about that because we'll get into it. There's way too many cuts of this movie. Way too many cuts of this movie. But we are discussing Blade Runner to kick off a, a series of films we're going to discuss. Uh, discuss. Uh, see, I'm even saying disgust. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to disgust Blade Runner. <laughs> yes. Oh, get ready. If you love this movie, get ready for some opinions you you might not agree with. But anyway, we are going to be discussing um, movies that are sequels. Uh, I would say true sequels, maybe not, you know, not even soft reboots that come with great time apart. And while Zach and I were discussing what we were going to call this, I think in the spreadsheet, it's the 30 plus years later sequels. Um, Zach said something before we recorded that made me remember something we talked about way back when, I think near the start of Cinemodities, but it's a phrase we haven't used in quite some time. And I want to know if Zach likes this idea, but could we call this... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking for permission, I'm asking for appropriateness, Zach. I know I can call it anything I want. But could we call this the Dusty Property series? Yeah, we could call it that. Yeah, yeah I think that's fair. Because Blade Runner, and of course, as we've described, of course, Blade Runner gets a sequel uh, 30 years later, Blade Runner 2049. I I know that Blade Runner is considered a fantastic movie, one of the greatest sci-fi films ever. I know people gush over it, but it's still kind of, you know, it it, it did get dusty. I've never heard about the other cuts being as popular as the original. Hell, I don't even know if the original was popular when it came out. I, I might have become a cult classic later on. But certainly, Denis Villeneuve and Blade Runner 2049 revitalized that. And and I won't give it away what the other, the back half of this month is going to be, but it'll be something very similar. So with that being said, our Dusty Property series, we are discussing Blade Runner 
And I think it's safe to say Zach and I watched one cut each. And I think we watched different cuts, right? We did, Rob. We did. So I watched the final cut. Which one did you watch? I watched the theatrical cut. Okay. So I think for my reading, yours had narration. Is that true? Yes, it does. And it's probably the greatest narration you will ever see. (laughs) Okay. Mine did not have narration. Um, I guess we'll have to get into those differences. But I think this is somewhere I want to start with the notion of the cuts of this movie. I think the last time I checked, when I watched the YouTube video, that's last time I I checked, I made that joke without realizing it. You know, there might be, by the time this episode releases from when we're recording it, there might be another cut of Blade Runner. Who knows, you know? (laughs) I think it's safe to assume there'll be another cut. The way it's going. Oh, geez. But I think there's eight in total. Is that, is it seven or eight? It's eight, I think. Okay, okay. I was about to ask, if, if you hesitated any longer, I was going to say, does it matter? Because from what I've found, there are some significant, maybe stylistic differences. Like we said, the theatrical had narration, where mine has zero narration. They all seem to be around the same in length, and they all seem to get at the same idea. And this is something we're going to have to talk about. I know even when I hadn't seen Blade Runner, and I guess another thing to say is this is the first time I've ever seen this movie— um, I'd always known that a big point of contention behind it was the question, is Harrison Ford a human or a replicant? And I, I, in my research, I found that they say, oh, the final cut is the only version that really gets at this question, that poses this question. Is he a human or is he a robot? And I watched it and I was kind of like, there's nothing about that in here. Like, yep. people yep. are grasping at straws for some of this nonsense. So uh, I, I, I guess we'll get to that fact when we discuss more of the movie, if, if, we, if we care, if we think he's a human or a robot. But, you know, I think I want to start top level. Let's get our negative opinions out of the way or, you know, our, our overarching negative opinions. Like I said, this is the first time I watched this movie just a few days ago. I had been hearing for years. People have been telling me my whole life almost that you gotta watch this movie. Blade Runner's so good. It's one of the quintessential science fiction films of all time. And I'm like, do you mean Alien? And they're like, no, Blade Runner. And I'm like, Alien, now that's a movie. And I never really (laughs) wanted to watch Blade Runner. And honestly, as Zach knows, as the audience of this podcast knows, is because I knew the premise. I knew the stupid setup of this movie was... Humans only realized creating robots was a bad thing after they did it. Fucking stop using that. I know this movie was years ago, but it's a trope. It was a trope, you know, when Isaac Asimov was writing books, it's a trope now, and I hate that setup for any film. And it's like, either do something clever with it, don't just burn that into the ground or run into the ground again. And I never wanted to watch this movie for that reason. I went into it knowing I wasn't going to like some of the artificial intelligence stuff, But my God, I had no idea how fucking boring this movie was. I cannot believe that some people that I've watched, you know, crazy intense action movies and thrillers that they thought were boring think this is one of the most enthralling movies of all time. It drives me crazy. So top level Blade Runner, incredibly boring until about the last 30 minutes where there's some interesting stuff. Uh, It's not a masterpiece by any way, I would say. And it deals with the beep boop trash cans. What are your thoughts on Blade Runner, Zach? I guess I guess (sighs) I'll start with you have you had seen this before, right? Or was this your first viewing as well? 
No, no, I, I have a history with this film. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, this is there's context to this. I I I remember it was for Christmas time of 2007. I really wanted the four disc release because I think that was the first time like it was actually like they were releasing it like like in 2007. Comp being one of the last years for like physical media getting like a genuine push. It wasn't like an afterthought, and I know like streaming wouldn't come until a few years later. But like that was kind of like 2007, give or take that like around maybe a couple years between then. Home video really got a lot of attention. And I remember like I'm like, okay, I really like this this box set thing looked really cool. Not box set, whatever you want to call it. And I remember asking for it for Christmas and I didn't get it. I remember I think I had to end up going somewhere special for it, maybe like a borders, but I'm not okay. entirely certain. And cause I think it was one of those things that was like kind of like sold out everywhere. And I remember getting it. And that was also the same time that I also was getting in um getting into like alien aliens, really like appreciating those movies. And I remember getting to Blade Runner, like I opened it up and I think I, I don't even, I remember, I, I vividly remember at the age of 15, like looking at it and feeling overwhelmed by having like four discs and like every disc <laughs> is a different version of the movie. And I didn't know, and this is before, like you just like could pull a phone out and like Google, which version should I watch? Mm-hmm. There wasn't that like sort of guidance that there is now when it comes to movies. And so I remember just, I, I think I watched the theatrical version just figuring, oh, like that was the first version. Like might as well start at the beginning. And I remember just like, like you watch, like I think I because the premise sounded great. Like I, I knew what the premise of the movie was. I'd never seen it, but like the premise sounded great. Harrison Ford's like Harrison Ford hunts down robots, and it's called Blade Runner. It's like wow, this sounds so cool. Like like these robot hunters are called Blade Runners. Like that's neat. Like it's like a concept. That's a fantastic like tagline for a movie. Fair, Harrison yeah. Ford is yeah. And so I watch it, and like the first five minutes is great. Like you have you have the 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 scrolling text that like introduces the world. You have the evangelist score. That's really kind of like hauntingly beautiful. You have the vis like the, the city vistas and you have, um, whoever the guy is, like, I don't know any of the characters in this movie, like the other blade runner, like with the guy, like doing the test and it's like, okay, this is neat. And then like you get further and further into it. And it's like, Oh, like I'm talking about the first scene. I'm like, and then like, so like if a tortoise falls over what do you do what's a tortoise you know what a turtle is yeah same thing and it's like this this like what is this then like the guy gets shot you're like okay action and then you watch the rest of the movie and it gets progressively worse and it was like and i think I, i don't even know what to make of it it was kind of like where like when I watched 2001 a space odyssey for the first time like as a teenager and by teenager i mean like like 14, 15, mm-hmm. you watch that movie and you have no idea what to make of it. It's just yeah. kind of like, oh, that's a thing that happened. And that's kind of how I felt with Blade Runner. But like years later where I went to like revisit 2001, and it's like, oh, this is a masterpiece. Like science fiction will never reach these sort of highs ever again. Like as a genre, it maxed itself out. Like this is it. You, you, it's bad to say this or it's wrong to say it, but like science fiction should quit because you're never going to make another 2001 <laughs> it, or, or if your goal is to make the uh, the quintessential epitome of the genre, you should never make another science fiction film because 2001's mm-hmm. never going to be topped. Um, whereas I rewatched Blade Runner and I'm like, oh, 15 year old me was right. This is just dull and superficial and there's nothing to it. And I, I, I've gotten to arguments with people over the year, years trying to explain to them. I'm like, oh, it's like, what do you think of Blade Runner? Like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's like, you're, I, I, 
you can't say this, but I, I really, I, I make it as thinly veiled as possible. I'm like, oh, so you watch this movie as a child and your nostalgia blinds you to the lack of quality mm. in it. And I've always, and this is why I've always wanted to talk about Blade Runner is, or have my thoughts on the record because it's, it's a very pretty film. A lot of time and effort went into the visuals of this movie. Oh, yeah. Yet the story, there's no story. There's no character arcs. The characters are wildly inconsistent. There's, there's really nothing here. Like, in all honesty, I would, I would prefer this film as a two-hour-long experience with just the soundtrack playing over it. <laughs> Cut out all the dialogue. Cut out all the sound effects. Just ha- create a two-hour-long score. And this would be, I think, an enjoyable movie on that level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I agree with you. Looking at this movie was the best part of it. Yeah, because I, I have to say, like I, every few years, I try watching this. Like every time, I try to like it more and more. And maybe this current time was the first time that maybe because I went into it expecting to hate it, that I found some redeemable aspects in it. And plus, I went and did my normal thing where I go and look at other like criticism on this. And there, the problems that the movie's trying to say things, it just. It doesn't need to be saying them because, mm-hmm. like, like, one bit of criticism, well, analysis that I was I was looking at was like, oh, when you like all the scenes that take place, like, a like in this, I don't call them not skyscrapers, but like in the buildings, it's a very tranquil horizon. It's very beautiful from like the atmosphere, but the further you get to ground, the more of a hellscape it becomes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and that's further defined by the fact that only Caucasian people live higher up. Yet on the ground, surface level is the multiracial multi-ethnic thing yeah very diverse yeah yeah and it's like oh what was ridley scott deliberately doing that like that's that's the weird thing is that like oh was was ridley scott his like like ridley scott's insane and that's the thing that like has to be talked about too is like it's kind of what i was gonna say yeah he is insane i was gonna bring it up be like i was gonna say something like we need to talk about ridley scott what the hell is wrong with him (laughs) that's the thing is that like I started to realize Ridley Scott was insane as a filmmaker as I think it was when Alien Covenant came out oh, and, like, okay. he just, and he just started like rambling on and on about stuff. Like I remember like going from Prometheus to Alien Covenant, like a bunch of like inconsistencies happened mm-hmm. and it was like, I remember somebody asked him like in an interview and I think his, res- like his response was, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> And like at that point, oh, and the other thing was like he's like I'm making like five sequels to Alien Covenant. Oh, <laughs> and it's, it's like I love Alien Covenant. It's my fa- it's probably like my second favorite Alien film. But like it's a bonkers movie that really just doesn't care about anything that came before it. Okay, and and, and that goes to the whole thing with like Ridley Scott and like the Deckard like replicant human thing. Like I know he's so gung ho now, especially like. Right before uh, Blade Runner 2049 came out about Deckard being a replicant. Yeah, like I've seen interviews with the screenwriters and they're like, we never talked about this. We like, it, like, in the two <laughs> years we worked on this back in the 80s, it was it never crossed our minds. It, it was a thing that came like a decade after the film came out that he started talking about this. It was never part of the film. And I find that fascinating that like he's so willing to repeatedly die on this hill for this thing. That A doesn't matter in the context of the movie. Yep. And B, like it was never anyone's intent. It was never Philip K. Dick's intent. 
Yeah. It was never the screenwriter's intent. Heck, it was not Ridley Scott's intent while making the film. And yet, ten years later, he's created this bizarre. Not, I don't want to say non-existent, but like he's created this narrative or through line out of nothing, and yet he's so like adamant in that it's there, even though it's not. That that's exactly what I read, and I was I, I think I'm just as intrigued by this as you because it's like exactly like you said when this movie was being created, that was never anybody like a, a thought in anybody's mind, and I think like Zach said, the book. Um, do androids dream of electric sheep that this or short story book i don't know which that this it's is based book. on it's a novel okay it is it, from what i read it clearly states in there that deckard you know passed the passed the voight conf test or whatever it's called and he is distinctively human and even harrison ford is just like you know this is care. ridiculous he to talk he about yeah care, yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. Because I read a couple years ago. I think it's been like maybe two or has to be three years now. I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Oh, okay. and I remember. I remember reading it, being like, "Oh, I wish they made this into a movie." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like this. This would make a great movie. Like, of course, we, like the, it's a Philip K. Dick novel. So, like, there's things you'd have to change. Like, it's not as uh, streamlined for like mass audiences. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a narrative here. Like, it's a. It, like Blade Runner, like the movie, I'm like I, I still cannot figure out what the point of the movie is because like I because you, you ask I always ask people I'm like what is Blade Runner about? Oh, it's about like the human experience, and I'm like no, it's not. Rutger Hauer has like a 30 second monologue that comes out of nowhere that runs contrary and is against the grain to everything else his character's been doing the entire movie, mm-hmm. and yet people just take that one 30 second part. That's great. It's a great moment. It's he does an excellent job. The music's there, the lighting's there. As an individual scene, it works. But in the context of the movie, it comes out of nowhere and has no purpose in the film. And then, like you read stories about, like, oh, that was ad libbed on on set, and, and Ridley Scott just went with it. And I'm like, that's why it makes perfect sense. It, it doesn't belong in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why, and that's kind of like my pro- like one of my many problems with this movie is that there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing of substance to this movie. Like, it's not trying to say anything. Like, it's just, it's content almost. Like, it has as much, as much as I complain about Marvel movies, at least Marvel movies are superficial. At least they know what they're trying to do. They're not as, nowhere near as scattershot as this. Yeah, interesting. That's an interesting idea. I I definitely agree with you that there's, there's not much to this movie. Um, I, I think maybe, I think I mentioned earlier that I, I did kind of, I was getting more into the movie in like that last 30 minutes because I I think it's because something was finally happening and it's kind of like I was in this form of Stockholm syndrome where I was like, (laughs) oh my God, like do something movie, do something. And then Harrison Ford finally gets to, um, JF Sebastian's apartment or uh, whatever he's living in. And uh, he's fighting the last two replicants, and I'm like, okay, this is finally something's happening. And then you got him and uh, Rucker Howard chasing each other around this house or whatever, and I'm like, okay, this is more interesting. Why wasn't this earlier in the movie? And maybe that's the case where you know people, they're, they're like I said earlier, they're grasping at some straws for things because that's that's kind of what the only thing the movie gives them. You know, it's kind of like it's so bland or so you know uh, superficial maybe that they they're trying to grab onto something it's like it's like a weird vicious cycle of just you know some people say this movie's great so more people think it's great and they have to keep expo- expositing the reasons why it's so great and then everything i hear about it 
I watch the movie going into that and I don't get any of it. Like I don't see it. You'd really have to dig for it for sure. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that like, yes, it's that vicious cycle thing, but like, there's so many better movies that like deserve that sort of like attention mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, that like, don't get it. And I guess it's, I forgot to tell Rob this before we started recording, but now's as good as time as any. It relates to this. I was watching Aerial America the other day, and I think they were doing, I forget what state, it might have North Carolina, or uh, state, they're doing North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they're like, oh, a bunch of like movies have filmed here. And they rattled off a couple of ones that you would recognize. And the last movie they, they highlighted was The Hudsucker Proxy. Ooh, right on. And I'm like, that's the strangest movie to highlight. But like the but the connected to that is that like the Hudsucker proxy deserves infinitely more of a spotlight on it than this does. The Hudsucker proxy is at least trying to say something. Mm-hmm. It might be not as uh, focused as it could be, but at least it's trying to say something. This movie, like I, I did some research, and it's like, oh, what is the point of Blade Runner? And it's like, oh, like it has themes of like what it's like to be human, empathy, all these things, and it's like, no. No characters experience narc in this movie. Harrison Ford goes from being a retired robot killer and he becomes he, he falls in love with a robot. Yeah. For, for no other reason the script tells him to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not even like he has any sort of like animus toward Blade Runners. Like he has to be forcibly dragged in to be what? Uh rehired. Like yes. he, he's done with this and he's forced back into it. And like we never even see him have that like, oh god, uh Moment of crisis, like he shoots the exotic dancer with the with the snake in one of the most awkward action sequences I've ever seen in the movie of this scale, oh, yeah. and like and like he just stares at like the body, and it's like and like the ball, like the, the the police chief comes over and it's like yeah, skin jobs, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like like we didn't know the skin job, like that. If all honesty, they should have taken the the snake replicant character woman and merge her with the daryl hannah one because at least we see her like the other one we don't see it we're introduced to her out of nowhere and he talks to her in a weirdly like a, a real like rob was saying an obnoxious weird way yes and then he just shoots her and i'm like like i feel like i feel sorry for the actors because like this has been really weird to shoot yeah I, I i agree with you completely i was even trying to do some digging in my research um on like, you know, what, okay, so what is the, you know, if people feel this way, what's kind of the justification? What's that like real analytical writing about it? And and I even felt, you know, once again, these people were grasping at straws because I read something about that exact scene you just mentioned, Zach, where the uh, the exotic dancer gets shot and there is the weird, like it holds on her lifeless body for a while and it, it's it's just more, adding more to the movie that's slow and I'm reading about people saying like, oh, he shoots her when she's running through like the shopping mall or whatever. And he gets her like the first two shots go into her like the back of her left and right shoulder. And when she's laying on the ground, you see her lifeless body with these gunshot wounds. It looks like an angel whose wings had been ripped off. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is some high school English teacher. Like <laughs> I'm pulling out anything I can think of, type of thing. because I get none of that. The only thing in this movie that seems, you know highly thematic to me is when they're like the replicants can only live for four years rucker howard's a badass leader of some replicants that want to live longer and i'm like okay that that's that's his motivation you know but then it just jumps around like he he goes to tyrell or whatever and he's like i I want more life sorry you're a robot i can't do that so he just kills him 
But then he saves Harrison Ford in the end. Yeah. Like, well, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm, I'm gonna die now. And it's just like, I, I, I don't, I don't get it, you know. And, and I even read where it's like there's that shot where Rucker Howard like stabs his, like through his hand, and they're like, oh, it's Jesus imagery. He's going on the cross, and I'm like, he's doing it to himself. <laughs> I'm like, like, yes, Jesus died yeah. for our sins or whatever they say, but Jesus didn't put himself up there on the cross. I'm sure if he had to die for our sins, he would have chosen a less painful way to do it. I, I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. I'm with you, Zach. I, 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 I don't get, get, get this. Like, again, that's the thing. Like, the visuals of this movie are neat. I can't take away from that. Like, the, like the set design, production design, you can't argue with that. That is aces. Yeah. Like, they put, they put the money's on screen. You mm-hmm. can't argue with that, though. But, like, nothing else in this movie just clicks. Like, again, Harrison Ford's, like, one of the earliest roles where, like, he didn't want to be there. And even in, like, on the the four-disc DVD thing I have, there's a a three-hour-and-a-half-long documentary on the making of. Oh, my God. (laughs) And, like, I love that sort of stuff. And even I have a hard time watching it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because, like, it was a movie that, like, again, it feels like a movie that was disjointed. It's like Ridley Scott just come off, came off of uh, Alien. He was on top of the world. Everybody was throwing money at him. Yep. And he was originally going to do Dune at one point. And I, I forget whatever happened with that. That got pulled out from underneath him or he walked away from it. And you have Harrison Ford, like, right after Indiana Jones. So, like, yeah. he does it. Like, he is now superstar Harrison Ford. And he doesn't want to be making this movie. I I would agree. One of my notes is is actually just I don't I don't even cite a scene or anything. I think it's in the first half of the movie, just from where it is in my notes. But I, I say there there's one one note says some of this dialogue is so bad, and then the next distinct note is Harrison Ford is not good in this movie. <laughs> That's it. But like I don't even like Harrison Ford can act when he wants to, but he's one of these people that needs to be motivated properly. Mm-hmm. And I know recently, like Harrison Ford's done some interviews regarding Star Wars for the the Call of the Wild movie, and someone's like, "Oh, like somebody asked him, like, oh, do you think Han Solo was a Force ghost in the Rise of Skywalker?" And he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like I saw someone like, and someone's like, "Don't make fun of Harrison Ford. He cares about the craft. He doesn't care about the mythology." It's like, bitch, go watch Ender's Game. He doesn't care about the goddamn craft. <laughs> the man does not care. Ninety-five percent yeah. <laughs> of the time, Harrison Ford does not want to be there. Do not put this thing about like he cares about his craft, but not about the mythology. No, he is a paycheck actor most of the time. Even back like in the eighties, he did stuff because he wanted an additional story on his house. Mm-hmm. And that's like what this movie is. is that like every performance outside of like I guess like any performance that's meant to be a character is flat. Like Harrison Ford does not want to be there, and it's quite evident because his character has no dynamic range. Oh God, Sean Young is Ray, uh, Rachel. Mm-hmm. She's a robot. You look at her for ten seconds. She opens her mouth. You're like robot. Yeah. And it's like and it's like <laughs> there's no doubt in anybody's mind looking at her. And apparently Harrison Ford hated Sean Young because she was so inexperienced. Oh, it's okay. like that. It was like she can't act. Get rid of her. And it's like no, we think she's pretty. And it's like, yeah, but she can't act. I don't care how pretty she is. Like, And he was frustrated by that. Like, on set, they wouldn't get rid of her. And that was part of the reason why he didn't want to be doing this. It's like, this is going to be not a very good movie. And you have uh, Rucker Howard, which, like, he's doing – like, he's trying, but he's in a completely different movie than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Especially – I didn't mention it before, but you mentioned that monologue. He does the end, like, when he's dying – 
And I agree with you completely. I had no idea where it was coming from because he saves Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford is just like, oh, what, what's this? I, like, I thought I was done for, that type of thing. And then Rutger Hauer's like, have I ever told you about the time I went to space? I was in space for a while, but I'm not going to remember that after I'm dead. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that, like, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. That monologue is great, like, in of itself. Like, it's a fantastic, uh, what, like, uh, a stanza on, like, the human experience. Yeah, the yeah. Human condition. Good, if, you, if you could take that out and, you know, show that clip, you know, that's a great little example of, of acting of, you know, like you said, the, the whole scene is set perfectly, and it, it does, you know, it's almost like poetry. But in the context of the film, it makes no, no sense. It, ma- it makes no sense. And it's like, yeah, like, if you're going to, like, show method acting mm-hmm. or, or ad-libbing at the actor's studio... That that's what you show. It's perfect. Yeah. But like, and I think that's maybe another problem with this movie is that this movie is great, like in dissected sequences. Like the opening, the opening is great. You have the little like text crawl, and you have the visuals of like this dystopian future with that great Vangelis yep. music, and then like you cut it before you get to the uh, the Voight comp test at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I, uh, yeah. I was I when I first was sitting down, I was like, okay, I'm I'm feeling this, and then you get the sense that there's this weird test going on, and I'm like, okay, you know what's happening? Like this is this is kind of interesting, and then they expect me to believe that this dude who was like brought in to take a test from I don't know where, but it looks like he was in jail or something from what he's wearing. He was able to bring a gun into this place, and I'm like, you're losing me, movie. Like this this is this is nonsense, and then it just gets nonsensical more and more nonsensical. Yeah, it's yeah. Because yeah, Harrison think, uh, Ford goes to see the captain, and the captain's like, "Hey, Harrison Ford, I know you're a Blade Runner, and you understand everything about your job, but let me literally tell you so the audience can know." And I'm like, "This, this is the greatest science fiction film of all time." <laughs> you know, what the, in the voiceover, I should say the voiceover is like you would you would love this version. Well, you'd like this element of this version <laughs> sure, because he, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> um, it doesn't fix the movie. Well. They added the voiceover because I thought the movie had problems. Yeah. Um. The the voiceover obviously is a lot of handholding, which is sure. which I actually which I, I think is actually needed in some instances because I think if you watch just the final cut, you're you're kind of like bored and also kind of clueless at times because the movie doesn't explain mm-hmm. what's going on. But at one point, like when the chief is explaining that, like like the, the replicant like thing, he's like, "Here's what's like this is the chief." Like he's the type of person to call replicants skin jobs, and I'm not joking. He actually says this in the voiceover. It's like calling he call he call black people uh, the M word, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, it's like what, huh, what? <laughs> that that turned dark quick. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and like, it's like <sighs> fine. It's like you know what movie? Fine. Um, yeah, like I'm I'm trying to think of other specific sequences because like. So much of this film is just like Harrison Ford sitting there, not doing anything. 
Yes. And and when he does do something, I think it, it is one of one of the other reasons why I'm really, you know, yes, I, I think I said already, I thought this movie was incredibly boring. And that's always a big problem. You know, I've, I've seen other slow movies. Zach knows me. I love me some good slow movies with the slow burn, but it's something intriguing to at least keep you going. This movie was boring, but the other thing that I really disliked about it, as far as a science fiction film, as far as a piece of science fiction storytelling, is that they were in the future just to serve the purposes of the plot moving forward. And I hate that. Like, this movie was constantly showing us, like, oh, it's the future, there's all this technology, but it really only appears and it comes in and out of the movie real quick so Harrison Ford can take the next step of the plot. Like... I'm not, I, I, there's a vendor, there is a street vendor, like in a marketplace that you can apparently go to, to get lab work done. Like Harrison Ford finds that snake scale and he needs to get it analyzed. And there's just a fucking street vendor for it. Like that's, that's just the writers going, oh, it's the future. This would exist. It serves our purposes. That's not good science fiction writing. Shit just can't happen because you need it to progress the story. And then you go, oh, it's science fiction. It's the future. That drove me crazy. Uh, yeah, that's like that doesn't it doesn't bother me for the reasons that it bothers you. It bothers me because it's so drawn out. Like he finds this like he's he's in the apartment of whoever his name is. Not Rutger Howard replicant. Le like, uh, yeah, Leon. Yeah. He's in his apartment and he finds like all the pictures and then he finds like the snake scale. And then like he has to like go through the picture. No, he, fi well, he finds the, the picture. He finds the snake. What in the picture? Yes. And we had in, we uh, have in the, uh, the other example of the future just being used as a plot device because they make a big deal. Harrison Ford only says three things. Zoom, some range, enhance, stop. Pan right, zoom, stop. And every time he's talking to the machine, he's clearly saying the words stop. And then at one point, while it's panning and scanning, he goes, wait a minute, and the machine responds to that. Move in. Stop. Pull out track right. Stop. Center and pull back. Stop. Track 45 right. Stop. Center and stop. Enhance 34 to 36. Pull back. Wait a minute. Go right. Stop. And I'm like, really? It's just because it's the future. Voice activity. You can do anything. And why say stop every single time except one where he goes, wait a minute. And the machine knows what to do with that. That fucking infuriates me. But yes, yeah. in that scene, it takes him 20 minutes of sitting there with his alcohol to zoom in and perfectly enhance the tiniest three pixels of this picture to find that she's an exotic dancer. Or at least that's where he should look for her. And I don't get how that's compelling science fiction to people. 
I just don't. Me neither. How is a character sitting in front of a television, talking at it, not doing any detective work, just looking at a picture? How is that compelling? Like even like you know, I don't even get how you're. It's six. Like that's the thing too about this movie. Like we talk about a lot of things, and I think Rob and I's most pronounced example, and it's not even. A great one like we talked about the Amanda show and that's mm-hmm. kind of like our quintessential Example of like oh like The rose tinted glasses of nostalgia Blinding us like at the like, At the time like why we were in sure. or something I don't get how even a Six year old in like 19 like 85 watching this like from a video rental store would fall in love with this I can't yeah. imagine how anybody would like This movie like maybe in 1982 Like there wasn't enough going on like maybe Like you wanted to be like Contrarian in like this over ET. Oh, okay. Like I get that. Maybe like you just wanted to be that person. that's like, oh, that's not a good science fiction movie. Blade Runner is a science fiction movie. But like, I don't get how people latched on to this. Like, like there's no, there's nothing here to latch on to. Like, Deckard isn't a great character. He's boring, if anything. Rucker mm-hmm. Howard is the only interesting character in the movie, and he's wildly all over the place. The point where the yeah. character he goes from being like, we're introduced to him. It's like he like he does more detective work in this than than uh, <laughs> Decker does. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point, especially with it because his whole thing is to get to the guy who created him to meet his maker. And there's actually like some some uh, he has to he find the eye guy uh, at the beginning and then he has to like set the other replicant up to meet JF Sebastian so he can infiltrate it later another scene which i was so confused watching cuz it cuts to a woman walking down the street and then she like buries herself under trash and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like why am i seeing this <laughs> but yeah you're absolutely right he's doing more clever detective work than Harrison Ford cuz the only thing he does detective work is uh, you know the zoom and enhance and then put on a nasally voice to shoot that lady. Yep. And that's it. <laughs> and he doesn't even like, do they explain? Oh yeah. Wait, they explain how he gets to Sebastian's apartment because he's, you know, we don't see it. It's another instance of telling, not sh- showing mm. is that Sebastian's just, we're told that he's dead. They found his body with Terrell. Yeah. It's over like the police scanner or something. So yes. he, he figures to go there. Um, uh, I get, yeah, that's like his lead. If you know Tyrell's dead, and Tyrell he met at the beginning of the movie, so there's some connection there. And then this dude was found dead with Tyrell, so let's go check out his place. And there's even the sequence in that part where, like, it's Harrison Ford in his space car, mm-hmm. and like it, it's like an establishing shot of like a street alley, and there's like a space car sitting on the ground. We cut to inside the car. Harrison Ford's just sitting there, I don't know, playing with himself. Yeah. And then we cut back outside. And keep in mind, folks, this all happens again. It's all like 30 second takes. This isn't brisk editing. We then cut back outside to the same establishing shot as we have a space cop car go, this street is under like quarantine. Yeah, closed all- for ground movement or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it's like you are to be arrested. And then we cut back to inside the space car with Harrison Ford. Not so. I'm not so sure of that, buddy. And I'm like a Blade Runner. Back. Here's my yeah. badge number. But, okay, verifying. And like the, and we actually hear it. it's like uh, it's like it goes on. It's like okay, have a nice day. And we see the space car drive, the space cop car drive away. I'm like, did we need that? 
did we really need a sequence of of explain to the audience yeah. like 90 minutes into the movie that our character that is being brought in under special pretense has special privileges yeah and then isn't like, that this right after that doesn't some people try to steal shit off of his car and he has to drive away from him or something Something like that. I don't, that's not in my car. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's like there's like some uh, riffraff that like jump on his car and try to rip something off, and he like drives away from them. And I'm, I'm it adds more to that scene where I'm like, what is the point of this? Like, do something, movie. But like that's like this is one of those things that people like like I would imagine there's at least a film course out there somewhere that points to this as, like a movie that does proper world building, mm-hmm. and. Like visually, it does. Like the idea of having like like a marketplace with a bunch of people and it's very busy. Like that's great. Like again, production, set design, aces. But like a lot of the times, where like Harrison Ford or any of the characters are like moving throughout the marketplace crowds, the editing is horribly inconsistent. And I'm not yeah. sure if it's the editor's fault. I'm not sure if uh, Ridley Scott did not get enough coverage so they could make make the running through the crowds like coherent when you're when you're editing it together because when he shoots the woman wearing the trans like transparent raincoat like that action sequence of that chase is all over the place yep like i have no idea what's happening it's like okay she's running and then we cut to him running then they then like she like hits a crowd but then he hits a crowd but it looks completely different from the crowd that she hit and then like oh spots her when she's like down some subway stairs or something at one point and yep. the, the whole color palette like changes drastically yeah it's it's horribly inconsistent and then like out of nowhere like she starts like running through like plexiglass walls for no reason like did, did, did she think that was gonna save her and then like he's behind like and even though we like we see where she's running and like there's no way he could get an angle to shoot her that way he's able mm. to shoot her that way he's able to get like three or four clean shots at her yeah and it's like i don't get it and like why like why is she like knowing that she's about to be shot why is she running to like four or five sheets of plexiglass yeah i yeah it was nothing makes sense action oh isn't that great the movie's been so boring let's load it up with nonsensical action and then it even continues because he kills her the the captain or whatever shows up and he goes oh rachel disappeared you got to kill her too and then out of nowhere he sees her in the crowd and then leon shows up and i'm like for no reason i'm like wait i'm like hold on like I want an action, but I want the move. I want something to happen, but I still want the movie to make sense. And the it doesn't o- make sense. The only decent like action in this entire movie, and it's not even good. It's only decent, relatively speaking, is that you have oh god, uh, okay, what was his name? The the replicant with the mustache or with the the balding one, not not Rucker Hauer, Leon. Leon, thank you. I know you just said it. I just lost it. Sure. Leon <laughs> show like for no reason. Everybody knows that Harrison Ford killed translucent raincoat dancer everybody knows like immediately knew where this was gonna happen they all showed up and then like we see rachel in the distance harrison ford like i have nowhere starts to have romantic feelings for a robot and (laughs) and leon just shows up like out of nowhere just somehow knew that this was all happening Mm -hmm. and he's like he's like how long do i have to live i don't know he goes how old am i When's my birthday? How long do I have to live? And it's just like, this is this is weird. And then as they're fighting, Leon is like about to get the drop on him. And he said, it's one of the weirdest like takes of dialogue. Leon says like, wake up, time to die. And it's just like, what the? It's like this. Wake up, time to die. <laughs> oh God, it's, it's, and then he gets yeah. shot through the head by Rachel. Because she's there also, of course. 
and she's like, able to pick his gun up and oh god god but even like like you said that entire like interaction between leon harris and ford is so clunky mm-hmm. like it, it's like high school level like like video class like level yeah. of clunky <laughs> where it's like how long do i have to live i don't know and it's just so flat and removed and like he throws him into like like against the wall and it's like how long Four years. Yeah. Then like, and it's like, and then he throws him like into another thing. He's like, you don't have long to live. And he punches and the editing is so awkward. Cause how he, I guess it, it, obviously it's a special effect that's being done in, in frame, but like, like how they do it. Like you can clearly tell they had to like insert a cut in there. It's like his arm, like, sp- like kind of like hits the thing where like they had to splice in like him throwing the punch then another shot of, I guess, somebody else throwing a punch, and it had, like, a hollow wall behind it? Yes. And then, like, you see a bunch of, like, steam, like, explode from this hole where the punch was thrown. And then, like, just now, Harrison Ford decides to pull out his, like, no, he punches him! Which makes no sense. Why would you punch a robot? Yeah, uh, Blade Runner extraordinaire is just, you know, acting rational, of course. Oh, Jesus. And then if you thought maybe, oh, he lost his gun or maybe his gun was like, like empty. And that's what he, it was just like a last ditch resort. Mm -hmm. No, because after he throws the punch, then he pulls his gun out and Leon like knocks it from his hand. Yes. (laughs) Maybe next time instead of throwing the punch, pull the gun out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't, that whole scene also, I was like. Aren't they close to where all the cops just were? Like the Blade Runner division people when he killed the first one? Like, isn't this in this, this, a similar vicinity? And he's on his own? He has to get a replicant to save him? And then uh, Rachel shows up and shoots him. We're sure, you know, we're halfway through the movie. Deus Ex Machina. And then it gets so boring where they're like, she's like, I'm going to leave. I got to run. I'm going to die. And he goes, nope, we're having sex. I'm going <laughs> to kiss you. And she's like, I want to leave. No. And he's like, you're a robot. No means yes for robots. And I'm like, well, I'm like, this movie is all over the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford falls in love with a robot for no reason. Oh, you kiss me. I can't rely on you. Say you kiss me. Yeah, it's like a Tomorrowland. It's the inspiration of Tomorrowland with George Clooney and uh, Cassie, Raffy, Raffy Cassidy, whatever his so, name is. Good old that Abertine from Vox Lux. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, I guess I guess we have to say, I knew I was going to have to bring it up at some point in this movie. This movie let me down in many ways, which I'm sure we're going to continue to discuss. But I have never been so let down by something I love. Because like Zach said, when Rachel gets introduced, she's, you see her for one moment and you're like, robot. Like, clearly, she is a replicant. And so I'm watching this. It's not revealed in the movie, but I'm like, he, he, he does the test on her, or he's starting the test on her. And I'm like, she's going to be a robot. Like, this is, this is the beginning of the movie. It's going to establish that he's, like, the master Blade Runner. He can identify a robot no matter how good they seem to be a robot. So it was blatantly obvious. And she smokes a cigarette, and it did 
nothing for me. <laughs> but she's not a woman. She's a robot. I don't care about a robot smoking a cigarette. And I was so I was so let down, Zach. The one thing that could have been great in this movie, me, you know, getting my kicks from seeing a woman smoking, just this movie deflated that entire thing for me. I was very upset. Very upset. Yeah, that's like... Uh... She also has like Elvis hair, like this yeah. weird like pompadour thing, and I'm like, this doesn't look good. <laughs> She's very like, if you're gonna make a sexy robot lady, and I get it, it's supposed to be the future. Everybody looks weird. I get that. I concede that. But there's something so just like visually unappealing about her, and I think a lot because Sean Young is a very pretty woman, and how like they they styled her hair in this is so off putting. Yep, yeah, she got that. Like I said, it made me think of Elvis for some reason. Elvis, but bigger. Um, she has like the shoulder pads that are cranked up to 100%. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> she can't walk through doors. She has to like walk sideways. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't like anything that had to do with her, like in the slightest. I was just like, I get that she's the love interest. Um, it was definitely weird when Harrison Ford like rapes her, you know, in that scene where he's like, come on, kiss me. Tell me you want me. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it was just it, it was it's not set up well. It, it I don't care about her because because me, I don't like care about any robots. But at the same time, the movie does nothing to make me care about her. And it, it's it makes no sense the second time they meet from the first time they meet because he's like, hey, I know all your memories because you're a robot. And she gets upset about it. And then they meet again, and it's like, he's like, I don't care that you're a robot. I, I, oh, it was inconsistent, as you said, is a great way to put it. But like I said, I, I, it's hard to talk about this movie because like, it's so all, all over the place. Yeah. Like, like it has no like thesis. Like, it, it's not trying to convey anything to the audience other than just like movie, like, like moving pictures. That's, that's the thing is that like, with even with like inexplicable stuff that we talk about on here. There's at least some sort of vision. Yes, yeah. I don't know what Ridley Scott's vision was with this because, like, the book is like wildly different because, like, Deckard's a, a a Blade Runner, and like the big thing is that like it's the idea that like what the the like he doesn't mind shooting replicants because he has the electric sheep at home. And he resents it because he wishes he could have something real because he knows that like something inorganic cannot give him affection. Sure. And so he kind of sees like, okay, if I'm killing robots, it's there's no moral quandary here. I'm killing essentially like equipment. Mm-hmm. And then like over the course of the the book, that like he has like all these things where like he realizes like, oh, like he sees that, like ah. I, a lot of this had to pull from like different like things I read online because I don't remember the book at all. Sure, but I know he has a wife. Oh, oh and okay. and the wife is like a drug addict, and that's another big component of it too. Because obviously Philip K. Dick was uh, like a schizophrenic that had to take like his meds, and he didn't mm-hmm. take them most of the time. Because like the book begins with them being like, oh, like you have to take your pills in the morning, and that like sets your mood for the rest of the day. So like, oh, I feel like I'm in a happy mood. I'm going to take like uppers. Like, oh, I'm going to like I'm going to be in a depressed mood today. So like it's the idea that like you can actually like custom tailor your emotions based on like whatever you want i think there's actually a little machine that like every house i think they even say like every dwelling distributes like pills depending on what kind of mood you want to be in that day 
Okay, okay. And the and the wife is just like constantly a downer, and he and that's why he's like he's really unhappy with his life mm-hmm. until like after he kills a bunch of or he like what do you want to call it retires a bunch of replicants. He's able to buy like a real goat. He buys like like, like a genuine living and breathing goat, and Rachel shows up and murders the goat. Okay. And yet that's and then somehow like that like gives like he has like his existential like drama through that. Mm-hmm. And then like the end, like he feels so distraught after like everything that's happened. He goes out to like the middle of nowhere and finds a toad, and apparently toads are extinct. But then like he comes home and he shows it to his wife, and his wife's like, That's a fake. And the book ends. <laughs> and it's like Okay, it's like it's a little again. The book, the book is better than the movie. Like, and I'm not even saying that. Like, I mean, like one of those, like, like oh god, what, like uh, a like, okay, type of thing. Like, arch- I knew arch- it before it was cool, you know. Yeah, arch- archaic sayings like, oh, the book is always better. Sure, it's that no, because the book has substance and it has it has meaning to it because it's that idea of like, oh, okay, like what, like what, what does reality mean? Yeah, it's like like something only has value because you put it you put into it. Like just because something's living does not mean it has value. Just mm-hmm. because something is inorganic doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Like that, that's a great lesson, sure. or at least it's a provocative lesson. It might not be great. It's up to somebody, the individual, to decide the the. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever that. it means, but at least it's provocative. It's meant to like be like, oh okay, maybe it's because it's the idea. Like it's where it's the it's the value you put into things mm-hmm. whereas with the film it's like what's the point nothing like harrison ford goes from being a guy that just wants to have his supper to a guy that likes boinking robots yeah it's it's too like you said it's too all over the place too inconsistent uh, i think for me for us to to really try and get anything from it like i said earlier all of this, you know, critical analysis that I read about it really, to me, does seem like grasping at straws. I, I, again, I don't even know if it's grasping at straws. It's like, I, okay, you're not, you're not wrong, but it's like clearly this film has like been built up to this great thing that people have to like show. Yes. They have to prove that prove its value. But like, I know we do that with a lot of things now, where we go back and we reevaluate them as a culture. And we're like, oh, this wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. And I can't because I kind of I remember when Blade Runner twenty forty nine was coming out. I'm like, finally, people are going to realize that this movie is not <laughs> very good. And it didn't happen. It I, okay. I guess there's an argument to be made here that like Blade Runner the original was a flop. Okay. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was also a flop. Okay. <laughs> so like when it comes to mass audiences, the mass audiences get it by just sheer indifference toward the property mm-hmm. but it's the people that like hold science fiction in such high regard not to say that they're the the voices or opinions that matter but considering that they're the ones that dictate discourse on film it's shocking they're the ones they're the most like so so hypnotized by this like hollow superficial film yeah yeah i hear you it is it is so such a strange phenomenon and I honestly can't think of another film that's held in such high regard that's so blatantly vacuous. Because I don't want to call this awful. I don't think it's fair to call it awful. I think it's vacuous. Mm-hmm. And yet I can't think of another example of another film that's just like – and like not like a film that like normies like. I'm not talking about like Transformers or Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a niche film that kind of deserves to be ignored – yeah, I think of all the movies out there 
that like are really good yet bombed and deserve sequels because they have enough of a rich tapestry from their first film mm-hmm. that could have easily been tapped into for sequels. And yet, what, 25 years later, not even 35 years later, yep. we get the sequel that, like, don't get me wrong, I, I love Blade Runner 2049 relative to Blade Runner. Okay. But, like, to pour $150 million into a niche film that never con- connected with mass audiences yeah. is insane. That's a good point. I can't think of another example immediately, but you're definitely right. And I think that lends credence to what I asked you at the beginning. It, would this be a dusty property? And it seems like, yeah, you know, Blade Runner didn't take off till cult status later on. And it's just crazy to me. I'm with you to get a sequel that many years later. Especially from someone that, you know, is uh, Denis Villeneuve at the time, you know, was, I think, was up and coming or had his big successes with um, Arrival. And, and I think that was his, uh, Sicario. Those are the two yeah. most well-known ones. Yeah, it was a, what? It was in that Sorry. Sicario. Yeah. Then it was Arrival. And then it was Blade Runner. Now, obviously, he's doing Dune. Yes. God, that's, that's fascinating to go from doing the, the sequel, the, doing the sequel of Blade Runner to doing another incarnation of Doom, which is not, that's not going to make money. Like it's no, not. Nobody, nobody, I think, you know, cares about Dune anymore. You know, the most people I think you have to have the hardcore fans that love the book because, you know, it can double as something to murder somebody with. It's so big. <laughs> and then you have the people who just think it's a, it's a joke and they love to laugh at it. The David Lynch version. And I would say more people think about it as something to laugh at. The goofiness of that David Lynch, you know, where are my feelings? Uh, who's who's going to want it other than just being, oh, Denis Villeneuve's new movie, Dune. And it's like, uh, d- just get Jordorowski to do it finally. give give Sal- Bring Salvador Dali back from the dead and give him his $100 million an hour, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, like, that's the weird thing, though, of, like, this whole thing. So, like... It just makes you wonder, like, it's that thing where Hollywood just taps into things because they're recognizable. Mm-hmm. But this was never recognizable. Like, it, yeah. this is the thing. I remember, I remember back in 2008, and I, I remember my mother wanted to get my uncle, and we were with my retarded cousin. And obviously, Rob, like, Rob knows, like, didn't know them, but he knew, he knew their personalities. Sure. From, from a distance. And I remember, we were, like, they DVD player. They wanted to get him one, and they wanted to pick out a movie to go along with it. And me, at age fifteen, being really pretentious and full of myself, they're looking at movies like, "Oh, we should get him Wild Hogs with John Travolta and Tim Allen and Martin Lawrence." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, you need to get him something of substance." And I kept pushing hard. I pushed so hard for Blade Runner okay. to where they actually got it. Okay. And, and I remember going over there like six months to a year later, it was still there in the cellophane. <laughs> and then, and then years later, I remember finally like one of those times, like, I think it was like in college or maybe like sometime during my college years, maybe not like literally in college, I went back and rewatched Blade Runner and I'm like, what a horrible decision I made. Like I was such a pompous self-absorbed asshole. Because like like as Rob knows like he, Rob remembers those two. Imagine those two sitting down and watching Enhance. Click 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 click. Yeah. Enhance. Click 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 click. Yeah. Be a better fit. Yeah. <laughs> just slightly, just slightly a better fit. Um. But yeah, and that's my thing though. Is that, like Blade Runner is never gonna be one of those movies for 
everybody. Mm-hmm. It's hardly a movie for anyone. I yeah, I I would think so. Uh, clearly, the majority is against us. It seems very strangely, but I hear but like, you. but like it's not the majority because like it's been ignored twice. Oh okay. Oh okay. That's, I see what you're I, saying. I that's why. That's why I think it's so fascinating though. You have a movie that's been blatantly ignored or. Franchise as crazy as that sounds, <laughs> a franchise that's been blatantly ignored twice. Yet the people who dict who like write the history books, quote unquote, mm. will not give up the flame for this. Mm, that that is an interesting point for sure. And you know, when you put it that way, it makes me think of just what kind of I, I don't know humanity tends to do. It's it's like um, you, you know I've used the example before of. When a group of people get together, a small group of people get together, and somehow they convince the rest of the world that they are the leading authority on what's the best of something, they pick obscure stuff. Like the like the people who do this for literature, they say is the best book of all time is Ulysses by James Joyce. While James Joyce is amazing to me, there ain't fucking anybody who reads James Joyce. Like he's not he was never a popular author. You know, it's literary school people. It's the people that really get into the the weeds of this stuff and really go waist deep, neck deep even. And that makes me think of this. These people who think they can choose what the best movies, what the best science fiction are, for some reason they gravitate to Blade Runner for, uh, for like you said, reasons that the majority doesn't understand. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing that kind of just is like baffling to me. Is it like, and again, it's, I guess it's going to be really fun because the Dune movie comes out this December. Oh really? And, yeah, it comes out. This I didn't December. know it was that close. Okay, unless, unless it gets delayed. Sure, sure. Which is always possible. Something like that. Um, yeah, like because like I'm looking at like right now box office mojo and looking at like its competition. Mm-hmm. And of course, things can always change. We're ten months away from there. Yeah. But as of recording this, and you look and it's like the only has the same day December eight because there's no Star Wars movie this year. What it. Yeah, I know, right? No Star we Wars. Lo- we lost the Star Wars. We literally lost it. We can't we lost find it. <laughs> but we have December 18th, we have the Coming to America sequel. Oh, I for every time someone brings this up to me, I say the same thing. I forgot that that's even happening. <laughs> yeah, it's a th- that's a thing that's going to exist soon. And on that same day, you have Dune and the the West Side Story, another West Side Story remake. Oh, God. <laughs> With a- Ansel a- Elgore and Maddie Ziegler. Oh, Maddie Ziegler. So she, old... you think uh, you think she got out from the controlling hands of Naomi Watts? Maybe to to film West Side Story. Okay, <laughs> I think I think Rob knows what's going to have to happen. We're going to have to do a double feature of Dune and West Side Story. Oh God. Oh, good old West Side Story. <laughs> and then, like for the rest of December, there's really nothing else. There's like a Tom and Jerry animated movie, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah. And uh, the Crudes too. They're making Remember a that? sequel of that. Clearly. When the last I the last one was a while ago, right? I think it was like 2012 or 13. Oh my god! I actually saw that movie. Um, I I remember I remember hearing of it, but I never watched it. There's a scene in that movie where they're all the because it's about cavemen and they're all in the mm-hmm. family and the kid like the little boy has a dog it's not a dog it's like a dinosaur but it's like it acts like a dog and they're up in the trees on this in this like tree deck it's not even a house it's like a deck and that's where they're like finding shelter for the night to stay away from the predators on the ground and the kid like throws the ball and the the dinosaur tries to fetch it but falls off the tree deck and 
I'm like, this is, I'm like, okay, now this movie has got my attention. Cause this is like three quarters of the way through. I'm like, this kid just killed his pet. The dog just appears at the end of the movie. There's no explanation. It just appears. And I have never had, I watched it with my buddy Ben out in Ohio and he can attest to it. I was like screaming in his apartment. Cause I was like, that's just, they took the most interesting thing and they undid it for no reason. Fuck that movie. I fuck a sequel. Goddamn nonsense. I hated the Croods, if you couldn't guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what's really weird? Like, another movie that comes out on December 25th, 2020, uh, Christmas Day 2020. Uh-oh. It's called The Tomorrow War. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, obviously, this might be competition for Dune. Mm-hmm. And it's it's stars Chris Pratt, J.K. Uh-oh. Simmons, Ooh. and Yvonne Stravowski. I remember her from... Um, Chuck and I think she was on uh, Dexter for a season And this is is a description Keep in mind this is Chris Pratt He plays a character named Rex Because why wouldn't his character be called Rex (laughs) I'm surprised that's not what we call him In the Jurassic Park movies That's what I was about to say (laughs) This sounds like the worst best idea ever Okay Or maybe the best worst idea ever The fate of a futuristic war Rests upon one man's ability To confront the ghost of his past Humanity is losing to an alien invasion. So to fight back, scientists develop a way to draft soldiers from the past to fight the war. That sounds insane, <laughs> right? That sounds this, like in, it makes me think of like reverse loop, or maybe not reverse looper. Wasn't it looper they had to kill people in the past? They couldn't kill mm-hmm. them in the future yeah. because murder is illegal in the future. Yep, and it's not in the past, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, that that sounds crazy. Um, is it? I'm guessing it's being slated or described as an like an action thriller. I would imagine. I, I kind of stopped uh, after that. Chris Pratt. Well, I, I think Chris Pratt should not be in anything, but he should not be in non-comedies, as far as I'm concerned. If the, there's something you can argue he does well, it's comedy, not the the superhero. Like you know, we like we said, we hated him, and I hated him in the Jurassic uh, Park four and five. <laughs> Has there ever been an actor whose like stock decreased so like quickly than Chris Pratt? Like, cause like he's he's Parks and Rec man where he was a nobody. Mm-hmm. Then he does a couple like bit roles and things like Zero Dark Thirty and Movie Forty Three. Everybody forgets that like oh, Movie yeah. Forty Three came out like a month after Zero Dark Thirty, and then like he gets cast as a. Uh, not Han Solo or fat, stupid Han Solo in Guardians of the Galaxy. God, I forgot he, about that. <laughs> his his career gets ignited, and then he's in Jurassic World, where like it became like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he's becomes and like after that, like everybody like Infinity War, everybody's kind of gave up with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used like to enough. hear about him all the time, and I I definitely think like. Uh, people loved him on Parks and Rec. He was a comedic character. I've seen all of Parks and Rec, and he was definitely. I hate just the stupid person. Like I hate that in any TV show or movie when someone is just so like painfully stupid that the audience is like, no, but he's lovable. It's like it's like that that's that makes you stupid. You know, <laughs> like if you can't think about anything other than your girlfriend, like you're literally incapable of thought past relationships. That's not interesting. And I think once Parks and Rec ended, sure, he got, you know, pushed up by the Marvel movies. But you're absolutely right. It, he just kind of fell off the face of the earth. It's not that he fell off. It's that everybody stopped caring. Because, like, I know, like, what happened <laughs> was, like, he started doing, like, he started to become, like, saying weird things or just kind of, like, odd things. And people started to, like, dislike him. And then, like, 
like he was always known for the longest time is Miss Mr. Anna Ferris. Yes. And then like as soon as he got like fame and fortune, he's like, I don't need this anymore. And then like he divorced her like immediately. And he started like stopping like one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughters. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't hear anybody talk about him in a good light, you know, unless it's Parks and Rec. You know, I, I never hear anybody going like, oh, Star-Lord or whatever he was in Guardian of the Galaxy. Like, they're my favorite, you know. It's like the only thing anybody ever – like I've said before, the only fucking thing I ever hear people talk about Guardians of the Galaxy is the fucking raccoon wanting people's limbs. If your whole movie boils down to one joke, you failed as a movie. I'm just putting that out there. <sighs> How much for the gun? Not for sale. How much for the arm? Oh, God. Oh, my God. It's horrible. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> thank hate thank it. God. Thank God that, like, that third. I thank God the James Gunn thing happened where, like, that movie got delayed by, like, six months. Because I think we'd be up to, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 15 by now. Oh, Dis- yeah. Disney just would have started cranking those out. Like, like we need more of them. And then the James Gunn thing happens. Like, well, that's delayed for five years. Yeah, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, those tweets. That was something else, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of them some of them are so absolutely weird that I'm I, I just laugh when I think of them because of how absolutely strange they are. Like the the one that stood out to me the most is James Gunn tweeted something like the shower of this hotel I'm staying at is so weak. Like the water pressure in the shower is so weak. Got- it's like a three year old is peeing on my head. And I was just like, what the f- <laughs> Like I don't think. Well, one, I don't think. I, I don't know how the urine flow of young children works, but I'm pretty sure it's not always a dribble. I think it can come out as strong as anybody else's. Oh, so one, I don't understand what that means. But two, how do you even fucking think of that? And why do you put it on social media? <laughs> yeah. And Disney and Disney gave him a check for 150 million dollars and said, "Go at it." On two separate occasions. Yeah, yeah. I, I even think I said to Zach after I watched Super, like maybe a few months ago for the first time, I was like, why did I was like, they didn't need the tweets to come out. Someone at Disney could have just watched Super and they would have known that this dude's no good. <laughs> Not even he's no good, but he has baggage. Ba- yeah, baggage. That's probably that should be the tagline for Super. This guy has baggage. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I guess getting back to Blade Runner, I guess I guess we had enough fun on our tangent. Oh god, yeah, the the boring aspect of Blade Runner. I think since we mentioned, um, you mentioned the example of you know what's another movie that kind of uh, you know didn't get a lot of attention, but they feel the need to do a sequel for, which was definitely interesting. And I didn't think of an example for that, but something that really kind of hit me as I was watching uh, Blade Runner: The Final Cut was the idea that, you know, I definitely have some directors I love, and I maybe if I don't love everything they do, I have a great deal of respect for it, and I'll watch it for that reason. But I definitely also have my fair share of directors that, you know, they have one movie or a few movies that I absolutely love, and then some that I hate. And it kind of just, everything fell into place, because as I was watching Blade Runner, I'm like, oh my god, this is so boring, I never want to watch this again, Uh, I feel like I'm going to fall asleep at any moment. I'm thinking, like, this is crazy because I love Alien. Like, Alien is one of my favorite movies. I'm really into that one. And sure, that has its slow parts, but I I love just that whole atmosphere and watching that film. And I was kind of like, well, okay, there's other directors. Immediately popped into my head, not surprisingly, Denis Villeneuve. I love Enemy. Like, Enemy is a fantastic movie, 
but I will I will die on the hill saying that Arrival is the stupidest thing to ever happen to cinema. Like that is a just a stupid, stupid movie. And I was really interested in that fact where it's like you have the same director that can do something I love and I hate. Uh, David Robert Mitchell is another great example. Under the Silver Lake is amazing, and I could watch that on repeat, but It Follows is an offensive movie to me, and I do not like it. And so I, I really was kind of getting into the thought of, well, you know, and especially, you know, I don't think we talked about it before, but Ridley Scott's filmography, he's kind of all over the place. You know, like, I haven't seen all of his movies, but, you know, we got Alien, we got Blade Runner, we got Thelma and Louise, we got, you know, Matchstick Men with Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell. <laughs> like, I think this goes at what I was thinking before. What is wrong with this dude? And I he's think insane. The same thing, he's yeah, insane. The same thing could be said for Denis Villeneuve. Where he's like, okay, I'm going to take a short story about a person go- going crazy, meeting his doppelganger, and I'm going to do something very, very kind of uh, heady, abstract, and intellectual with it, and that's Enemy. And then he goes to something like Sicario, which is you know that, that intense thriller, or maybe not goes to, I don't know my order exactly, but just different projects. And then he takes something so intellectual and so interesting, like Enemy, but keeps it abstract and takes away all the abstractness and goes to Arrival, where he's literally like, if you learn this language, you can travel through time. And it's like, fuck you. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. How, how, how can you be this all over the place? And I think they're both equally insane. And I wanted to use this to transition into the fact that when I was watching Blade Runner, and I'm looking at these vistas, the beautiful scenery of this movie, like these huge shots of, of the city, of the landscape, of these giant pyramid-type buildings... I'm like, I kind of see where Denis Villeneuve got it from, because we talked about that in our Sicario, Sicario episode. You get all those great, you know, helicopter shots of of the border of the of of Mexico, of um, you know, uh, the cities that they go to. And I'm like, I kind of see, you know, if Denis Villeneuve loved this movie, if he loved Ridley Scott, it's going to translate into someone who's just as crazy as he is to some extent. Maybe the next evolution of it. And I thought that was really interesting. Just the fact that, you know, I can love a, mo- uh, uh, a director's movie so much and then despise another one to my core. It's crazy to me. Yeah, really, Scott is all over the place. Um, Have you ever seen Matchstick Men with Nicolas no. Cage? I, I've been I saw it a forever. long time ago on HBO, and I don't remember much about it, but I remember it being very, like, goofy, I thought. And this was, like, before I, I knew Nicolas Cage fully but i thought it was really goofy and it kind of blew me away that he ridley scott had directed that when i was looking through his filmography (laughs) yeah it's one of those movies that uh i'm even looking at the budget right now cost 65 million dollars to make in 2003 oh my god that would be an insane budget now for that movie never mind like almost 20 years ago oh i saw um, i saw american gangster once and fine to, to be fair i was i was bored to death with american gangster I did not like that movie. And, you know, because I watched it and Ru- what Russell Crowe's the cop and he's like, I don't want to go on the take. I don't want to take this dirty money. And I'm like, isn't this Serpico? Like, aren't I just watching Serpico again? Yeah. Except, you know, I don't think that I don't think there's a scene in American Gangster where Russell Crowe like screams at his wife. I think there's a <laughs> elongated scene in Serpico where Al Pacino's like, I'm trying to do the right thing. And you're just a, a woman who's giving me bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're not wrong. I only saw American Gangster once, and that was like when it, like, I saw it in theaters. And I've never seen it since. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, but Denzel's cool in that. I think I like Denzel for the most part. 
he's been in but, so much stuff, you know. Yeah, looking at um, yeah, looking at a bunch of this stuff. Like again, even the Ridley Scott did uh, Legend. Oh, that's Cur- right. I yeah, guess Tim so Curry's the devil, right? Is that that movie? Yeah, yeah. Nice. But like that's the like once the new millennium hit, like that's when like Ridley Scott became like like he always was a commercial filmmaker, but like it really got dialed up to eleven because mm. you have Gladiator. Which obviously needs no explanation. And you got Hannibal, and Hannibal was like everybody forgets. Like when Hannibal came out, that was like one of the biggest movies of all time. Like, is that the that, one that's supposed to be a sequel to Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And that was like a huge movie when that came out in two thousand one. And then he also like that same year he had Black Hawk Down, which is considered like one of the most quintessential mm-hmm. modern era war movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one. Then like he follows that up with Matchstick Men, which is a bomb, and then he does Kingdom of Heaven, which is the I think uh, oh god Orlando Bloom movie, like like what medieval movie? Oh oh yeah, I've never seen it, but um, it's it's like um the the army's sword fighting knights in shining armor type of thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Eighteen four. Uh oh, actually, yeah, medieval. One thousand one hundred eighty-four France. Mm, okay. Okay. The year, the year <laughs> one thousand. The U.S. version of Dragon Blade. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, that. And then he did the, a good year, which I didn't even know existed. It's a romantic comedy with Ridley Scott. Gee, I'm sorry, Russell. He did a Russell romantic. Crow. He did a romantic with comedy with Russell Crowe and Marion Cotillard. He is. You're right. He's fucking insane. He abs- Ridley Scott is absolutely <laughs> insane because <laughs> he did a. Ro- I didn't know he did a romantic comedy. It made no money. It cost. There's no way it cost it. Okay, it yeah, it didn't make money. Then he did American Gangster. Mm-hmm. Then he did Body of Lies, which is another like weird movie. Like it's a CIA movie with Russell Crowe and oh, DiCaprio. Okay, yeah. It's one of those DiCaprio movies nobody even talks about. Um, then he does Robin Hood once again with Russell Crowe that made money, but just not enough money. Forgot that that existed too. <laughs> and then he does um, Prometheus. Yep. Yeah, that. Oh, of course. How can you? How can you not know about Prometheus? Rob, if I were to ask you, which you th- which movie do you think costs more, Robin Hood or Prometheus? I I feel like I know what you're setting me up for, but I would def- I would definitely say Prometheus. What if I told you that Prometheus costs less than Robin Hood, but by how much of a difference? Mm. I don't know. Maybe twenty five million is the difference. Higher. Higher. Fifty. Higher. Oh my god, no, no fucking way. I'll just continue the pattern. 75? 70 million. Oh my god. Robin Hood cost what? 200 Ow. million dollars to make, and Prometheus was only 130. You just, Prometheus, you have to do a shitload of special effects for Robin Hood. You just have to get a bow and arrow and light the tip of the arrow on fire. That's it. That's not a special effect. How much could that cost? <laughs> apparently, only apparently 200 million dollars it cost god. to have Robin Hood. Well, come on! You want to be fair, though. You had to make sure, like Russell Crowe, like every time he like would shoot one of a crew member or something. <laughs> I was about to say, how much of that went to Russell Crowe? <laughs> Probably a lot. Um, then, like after Prometheus, we get the greatest film ever made that Rob still hasn't seen, which was which was actually suggested for our first series. Yes, I, the, I saw it. The Counselor. Yep, I which, haven't I haven't watched it still. Like Zach said, he's correct, but uh, it holds a special place in my heart because I know I, it is a Dean Norris film now. I I wanna like I really want to insert the clip that I've told Rob about where uh, beneath no Javier Bardem 
describes mm-hmm. a certain part of Cameron Diaz's body in a very specific oh, okay. way. That's right. I kind of want to insert it so when Rob's editing this, he hears this and dies laughing. Like not even <laughs> for the audience. Like the like, the audience is gonna hear it. Be, I, I might have to do that now. I have to go back and track okay, that right because it's such a weird. Like it's like it's so weird. Like I it's it's profound in how weird it is. Like it's almost like you have to admire it. Like nice. Like it might genuinely be the most misogynistic thing ever put to like to mainstream <laughs> film. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Well, uh, I, okay. Two things. When when we eventually, I think it's going to have to happen because I, I love the idea more and more each day that I think about cinemodities. We're going to have to go back and do more Dean Norris because Dean Norris is great, and the counselor would be on that docket. But while we're talking about Cameron Diaz, I have to tell the story. I think this podcast and Zach will love it that I was sharing files with someone earlier this week and I was going through, you know, I have my movies folder. I got my TV shows folder, but I got one that's just like backup for cinemodities, like everything we've ever done. And he's, I'm looking through that cause I think I have to give him Halloween three. You know, there's things I force on my friends, uh, Halloween three being one of them. And he's like, Oh, vanilla sky. I want that one. Cause apparently he saw it when he was younger and he liked it. And I go into the vanilla sky folder and I'm like, scrolling through because I got all the different clips like the audio files that we used and I'm looking for the movie and the next thing he says to me is why do you have a file called I swallowed your cum (laughs) 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 and I was so tempted to be like I'm like I'm not going to give you an explanation but I did give him the full explanation but there is legitimately a file on my hard drive just called I swallowed your cum it's it's fantastic <laughs> Absolutely delightful, folks. That movie. That movie is delightful. Oh yeah, tech support. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm not. I, in all honesty, which is more awkward: the counselor scene with Cameron Diaz, or that line of dialogue in Vanilla Sky? Like, I, I don't think, know what. I don't yeah, know. Which I is think more I'll awkward. have to. I'll have to put in a, my answer to this after I hear this clip you're putting in. <laughs> I don't know. It's, no, because she doesn't talk in the clip. No, oh, no, it's a, oh, okay. She's doing something very specific, gotcha. but she's not saying anything. It's Javier Bardem that's that's narrating what she's doing. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I got. I might have to watch the counselor tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we need to know how it fits into the Dean Norris extended universe. Of course. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, you'll never say the word "the counselor" the same ever. The, the, the two words "the counselor" the sure. same after you hear Javier Bardem say it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, it's delightful! It is. It's a mess. It's a mess. Um, and it's funny. I think Michael Fassbender was genuinely kidnapped and brought to the set of that film. He didn't know he was acting. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, Ridley Scott's filmography from there gets even strange. Like he makes Exodus, Gods and Kings, where he makes uh, Moses into a. Um, a sociopath or a psychopath oh, and he says that okay and then he does the martian with matt damon which uh yeah. i remember seeing that and that's a great movie like it's it's a legitimately great movie like right on. yeah and then he does an alien covenant which is insane yep and um he does all the money in the world where like a week before it comes out like kevin spacey um shits the bed oh. and they reshot the entire movie Okay, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and that, I watched that movie like a year ago. It was like on uh, Encore, and it was good. Like, it was like, it wasn't great, like, but for like 90 minutes of entertainment, it was neat. Okay, right on, right on. Yeah, he's all over the place. He's insane. He's a crazy filmmaker. And I think, I think, you know, to get back is what I was saying about how I can hate one movie, love another so much. 
uh, I think that's that's kind of the thing. If you get a director who's you know done this many movies, had this long of a career, and goes all over the place, it, it's almost expected, you know. But at the same time, you know, I I think you know uh, the example that comes to my mind, of course, is David Lynch. Like you know, the straight story is distinctually different from say something like Mulholland Drive or Eraserhead, and The Elephant Man is distinctually different from you know Inland Empire and stuff like that. But I. I, there's something more about him that strikes a chord with me, and I respect all that stuff. You know, I'm never going to say I, I dislike any of his movies. Like I'll get through them, and even I think the stuff Zach, you know, might not like, he'll still, you know, have a, a special place in his heart for. Sure. I'm thinking of rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. One final thing about Ridley Scott's filmography. I okay. want to play this game with Rob. Have these three movies, ranking them from what you think is the highest grossing film to the least gr- highest oh, grossing. God. Okay. Which of these three films do you think is the highest grossing? American Gangster, The Martian, Alien Covenant. How would you rank those from highest grossing you think to least the lowest grossing? So highest? Yes. I'm going to go with American Gangster. The middle, I'm going to go with The Martian, and the last, I'm going to go with Alien Covenant. You were right about Alien Covenant. That is the oh. lowest grossing of those three. <laughs> okay. But but actually, The the Martian made the most. Oh, wow. Interesting. I, got, okay, the, yeah. I was thinking Denzel might have had that attraction, but, you know, Matt Damon, you could say the same thing for a show, so sure. But American Gangster actually made more money than Alien Covenant with a decade's worth of inflation in Alien Covenant's favor. <laughs> That's bonkers to think that an alien movie with 10 years of inflation made less money yeah. than a crime thriller. Yep, that that is insane. Yeah. That's bonkers. <laughs> Ridley Scott, man. I, I like how Rob and I have spent, like, in a Blade Runner episode, like, most people would spend hours talking about this movie, and Rob and I are trying to find every, like, avenue we can, like, kind of just, like, branch off and be like, hey, we need to talk about this. Oh, because it's so or, boring. It's so boring. <laughs> Enhance, click, click, click. You'll do the, in order to pad the runtime of this episode. We'll insert randomly throughout <laughs> this. Enhance, click, 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 click. Pan right, click, 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 click. Wait a minute. You have to do. There should be a cut of this movie on top of the fifteen other cuts that exist of like that sequence, and you get like a SpongeBob title card. Forty-five hours later. Enhance. He's even closer to the TV, like his face is right up to it. <laughs> He's doing a James Wood video drum. He has his face in the TV. Enhance. Oh, geez. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I don't, God, the, the whole cut. I guess this is a better time than any to say that, you know, when, when Zach and I decided that we were going to do this Blade Runner or this, you know, Dusty Property series. I needed a copy of Blade Runner, and I started reaching out to my usual sources. And the first thing I found that I texted Zach, I was like, which which version of Blade Runner should I watch? And I don't have the text pulled up, and I don't have to scroll back, so I won't waste any time finding it. But I'm pretty sure your response was something along the lines of, oh, right, there's multiple versions of this movie. And I could feel the, like the depression in your voice when you sent that to me. (laughs) And then I started texting. I was like, there's the theatrical cut. There's the director's cut. There's the final cut. There's something called the only cut, which I found out later was a fan edit of this movie. So like, oh, that we said at the start, but I got to say it again. That drives me crazy that there's so many versions of this movie. It's like, uh, I know we haven't talked about on this podcast, but it's like goddamn Michael Mann 
where he's like, okay, this cut is three and a half hours. This cut's nine and a half hours, but I still haven't told the whole story. So I'm making a movie that's a day long. It's like, get over yourself. Like, tell a story. Like, everything it does not make a story better. Like, cutting the fat is a good thing. And that's what should have been done with Blade Runner. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like... Oh God. That's a... Oh, this movie, though. This like, that's, I, the, I don't... that's the tagline for the box. Uh, exasperated sigh. <laughs> that's in, a, in, in like, asterisks. Because yep. I'm trying not to repeat myself, but it's hard to do that in this case. Because like this movie... like My overall complaint is that it is so vacuous. And I don't know how like a movie that's that this void of charisma... Is able to have this much attention poured on, poured onto yep. it. Like that's just, like again, there's like seven or eight different cuts. There's mm-hmm. the work. There's the work print cut. There's the San Diego Comic Con like preview cut. There's the theatrical release. There's the international release. There's the TV broadcast. The director's cut, and then there's the final cut. <laughs> and like all, all it is is like minute things that they change. Like, yes. like don't get me wrong, the final cut is the most like different. And they add in like a weird subplot with him being a robot, Harrison Ford. But like, like, do we need an additional ten seconds of blood coming out of Joseph Turkle's eyes? Like in the version I watched, he he does the exact same thing. We just don't get the like the one shot of like blood coming out of his eyes. We know yeah. it's gonna happen if you sit there like put your thumbs into somebody's eyes with force. There's only one thing that's gonna happen. You don't need to show it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I said that earlier that I was shocked when I did the research that. You know, the final cut is an 117 minutes. The director's cut is 116 minutes. The The TV version is 113 minutes. And I'm like, really? Like, to me, different cuts should be, you know, substantially different. Like, I know it's I know it's a, a sin to say this, but the Dr. Sleep director's cut, saying the word Dr. Sleep is the sin. It, it had an extra <laughs> half an hour on the theatrical. Like, that's a different cut, you know? Not, not a few moments. I, I'm with you completely. All right, this is funny. So on Wikipedia, reading the uh, there's actually an entire page on Wikipedia I devoted to versions that. of Blade Runner, which I is hysterical. Yeah. Um, but in the section for the director's cut, it there, it says in 2000, Harrison Ford gave his view on the director's cut of the film, where he said that although he thought it was quote spectacular, it didn't quote move him at all. He gave a brief <laughs> reason quote they haven't put anything in it, so it's still an exercise in design. Nice. I like, like that. that exercise that, and design. It's true. Like that's like like Harrison Ford gets it. Like he gets it. Like it's there's nothing in it. It's better than like his thing was like I guess it's better than what came before it though, but it's still a hollow experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. just oh, it just drives me crazy. Too many cuts. There's too many cuts. <laughs> oh my God, it's it's so weird. Yeah, so I, I guess while we're on the topic, I did I do want to get uh, something on the record. I know I brought it up earlier that there was a lot to this movie that I had heard about before seeing it, just through cultural osmosis, people telling me about it. And we, we brought it up earlier, but I really want to dig into it because something I had always heard with the idea that Harrison Ford is a replicant, that the, the final cut gets at that idea. And, you know, we talked about Ridley Scott pulling that out of nowhere a decade or so later. But the thing that I always heard, like people discussing this in other discussions or in passing, they say, oh, the biggest piece of evidence for Deckard being a replicant is that Edward James almost leaves him an origami figure. Yes. 
fucking why? Why does anybody think that means he's a replicant? Because we only it's rule of three. Edward James almost leaves two other uh, origami figures prior to this. One is in Leon's apartment that the movie establishes Leon will never return to because the cops already found it. And the first time, it's in the chief's office. Does that mean the chief is a replicant? What the fuck? I watched this and I'm waiting for this unicorn thing. And I'm like, I'm like, this means nothing because it's not even like a memory or a dream. In the final cut, we do get the scene where Harrison Ford is like drunkenly playing the piano, all melancholy style. And he has a daydream where they show like a 20 second shot of a horse whipping its neck around because it wants to get the fucking prosthetic horn off of its head. Like, it, it, like I'm like, you couldn't do more than one take. Like, this doesn't look good. This looks like you put a horse in distress. And so, sure, I read about it online. They say, oh, Edward James almost knows that Harrison Ford is a replicant so he can access his memories. And that's why he leaves him the unicorn origami figure. But... Uh, Harrison Ford doesn't doesn't have a memory of a unicorn. It was a daydream. It wasn't even a dream. It wasn't anything implanted, it seemed. I was so let down because I've been hearing this for so long. Oh, you know, he gets the origami figure. That's what replicants get is the origami figure. And it's like that that is literally never established by the movie. And it infuriated me because that's how the final cut ends. Well, the, the final cut ends with like what him and him and Rachel get into the elevator. And it just cuts the black, right? Yeah. So, so as they're leaving the apartment, he, like Deckard finds the unicorn figure, like in his jacket pocket. There's a shot of him holding it, and then they get in the elevator, and the doors close, and it ends. Yeah. In the version I have, you probably know, is like they go, they go into the elevator, and then it's them like it's like a panoramic shot of like a lake i think we talked about in our shining episode like it's mm-hmm. reused footage from yeah, the shining yeah, yeah. The, what and, they, i think what i saw the internet call the happy ending yeah the happy ending and it's him and rachel just driving in a car and he's like she's gonna be dead soon but aren't we all <laughs> and that's it and i'm like okay i'm like it's the same ending it's just one's a little bit more drawn out i don't yeah. get how one's one's no happier than the other they go on the run like what difference does it make yeah yeah, is, is the, the unicorn it's the same ending exactly? Is the unicorn daydream in the no. theatrical cut? Not at no, all. It's not. But thank God, because I remember the first time watching the final cut, seeing the unicorn thing. And I'm like, what? Like, what is the point of this? Yeah, I didn't get it at all. Like I said, it took me out of the movie because you are watching a horse in distress, like it's whipping its neck around to get off the goddamn horn. It doesn't want it on there. Yeah, and I know. Even like in Blade Runner 2049, they like I think Edward James almost has one scene. Oh, okay. and it's him making origami figures, and that's it. I don't I'm, think he has. I, 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 I don't think he even has a speaking part, or at least there's no speaking footage. It, again, they might have shot more with him. I don't know. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I so even in, like Edward. Go ahead. In, I, I have at this point. I know I'm going to have to watch it uh, for the next week's episode when we do Blade Runner 2049. Um, I don't want to know yes or no, but does Blade Runner 2049 give a definitive answer about Harrison Ford? Because I know he's in it being a replicant or not or do they no, not even touch no, upon no it's slightly slightly hinted okay slightly okay. um but no it's not addressing any sort of if, if you go into that and th- that was a big thing like in the lead up for that film it's like oh man like we're finally gonna get an answer because yeah. all really scott did was hype that up the entire time and um if you went into that movie looking for a definitive answer you will be severely disappointed 
Okay. Okay. Good. I don't. I don't think I could handle any more of that after that being like one of the biggest things built up for me in this film, and it, there being literally nothing in this movie that really makes me think about that for more than five seconds. So I'm glad I, that the sequel doesn't force it on us anymore. The Blade Runner 2049 is not as muddled than as this is. Okay. But it's still a a kind of a mess of a movie. Okay. Because it doesn't like. It's like how do you make a seek a deep movie to <laughs> yeah. a vacuous film, and it, it has to deal with that. And I, I like it a lot compared to this, but like it's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird movie. It was a movie that was never designed for anybody. It was mm-hmm. like it's like it's beep boop trash can dialed up to eleven. Sure. Like there's because yeah, like, I am aware that Ryan Gosling is steadfastly a replicant, right? Like they set that up early on. That right? was. Like that's something we probably should discuss next week. Okay. But, like okay. I remember that was a huge spoiler going into that movie. Like nobody knew that. I remember. I remember was sitting because I saw that in theaters. I think opening weekend. And maybe, I, know, I think it was like opening day. And I remember that. And I was like, I remember like how that movie begins. It's it's said. And it's like wait, wait. It's throw. It's like a throwaway line of dialogue in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's like wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. And then like it's reinforced like <laughs> five minutes after that. And it's like wow, like. Like wow! Like I wasn't expecting that. Like it's given away so easily. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, no, but I like Blade Runner twenty forty. Like where I do not like this, I like twenty forty nine because I think yeah, it, yeah. I, obviously first and foremost because Ryan Gosling is my boyfriend, of course. But but it, it at least is trying. Gotcha. Yeah, it's yep. scatter shot, but it's not as vacuous as this is. Sure. I am interested to watch it way more than I was interested to sit down and watch this one because it is Denis Villeneuve. You know, he has that. I, I hate it. Like, a, like once again, Arrival's the dumbest thing I think anybody's ever put to film. Um, but uh, I loved Enemy, Sicario, you know, that type of stuff. So I am interested in seeing 2049. Um, but I do have to bring up, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't. I have seen one, I think, Seven second section of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh yeah, millions of times because yes, Zach has son. sent it to me. And whenever I'm scrolling through social media and I see Zach talking to other people, he posts that little <laughs> clip of Ryan Gosling freaking out in front of the computer or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, I have seen this so many times. I know it's from Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I can I cannot wait to get contact context for where that lies in the movie. It's, you know what the worst part of it is? Is that like. That that moment is so inappropriate. It's so it's such an exaggeration. <laughs> okay, like it makes. I remember the first time seeing that Jeff, and I remember being like, "What part of the movie does he do this in?" Like I had no memory of it. Sure. And then like oh, I rewatched it, and I, I'm gonna save my story for like my Blu-ray story for Blade Runner 2049 much later. Gotcha. Um, for like not much later until next week's episode, and no, it is. Like I love that moment. I think the reason why I love using it as a reaction because it's so like inappropriately over the top. Because like when you <laughs> see, like don't get me wrong, like how the the the, the sounds of that are 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 great. Like he freaks out. And it's great, and like and it's that moment of like because Ryan Gosling is also Mister Stoic Man. Oh yeah. So when you see him like actually emote, it's great. I love that GIF, but it doesn't really belong in that movie. It doesn't because okay. it's so, especially like it also ties into beat boop trash can stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. 
but yes, I love it. Yeah, I know. I, I know Ryan Gosling is really stoic in that film. I've I've heard a lot about that, where he's you know like a blank slate, and and you know he does that in Drive to some extent. I think I've said to Zach offline that one of my favorite things about the movie Drive, which I love, I really like that movie, is that you know his first line of dialogue is him getting the job, and he's all serious. You know, you get me for six minutes or nine, whatever. You know, not before, not after. Like I'm out of there, and then he doesn't talk for almost thirty minutes. And the next line of dialogue we get him in the same deadpan voices. Where do you want me to put your groceries? <laughs> 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 like that's one of my that's one of my favorite things is that you know it's 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 I think Drive is messing with you know the stoicism of this character, the driver. It doesn't even have a name. When he's put in this realistic situation, he just has to handle it the same exact way. And I, I just I laugh every time I watch Drive, where he's like, "Where do you want me to put your groceries?" And it's like that's the first thing we've heard him say in thirty minutes after an incredibly intense opening scene. <laughs> oh, Drive! Drive is so perfect. Drive, Drive. Oh my god, I love. That. I, I remember when that movie came out. Like, it was a meme for five minutes that weekend, okay. and then nobody ever talked about Drive again after that, except for me. <laughs> the movie had five minutes and that was it. I remember there was a meme going around where it's like Carrie Mulligan and Ryan Gosling sitting there and it's just like like oh god, like thirty stills of them just looking at each other and it's like in like quote yeah and then <laughs> real human being and a real like like the song real hero. Yeah and it's like cue credits. And it's like that's dry for ninety minutes. It's just, <laughs> it's just Ryan. Go- it's just Ryan Gosling and Carrie Mulligan looking at each other, and I love it. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Drive is drive is great. We have to. I know. Why can't, uh, why can't that get attention, Rob? Why can't yeah, Drive get the attention that Blade Runner does? Bla- Blade Runner does not deserve the attention it gets. Drive does. I agree. I agree. Yeah, the, the, I've only seen Drive and Neon Demon from uh, Winding Refn, but I, I like them both. I. I I will say the Neon Demon is not a Monstober movie. That's the time we had the oh, chance to discuss it. Ne- it's a great Demon movie. So great, but it's not a Monstober. So movie. so great. Uh, I, that, uh, I, that's another I, movie that deserves attention. Yes, you got Keanu yeah. Reeves playing a sleazy motel like that's manager. exactly what I was about to say. Keanu Reeves, like the whole scene where there's like a mountain lion in her hotel room. <laughs> don't, and he, don't give that. He, up. That's Fucking like don't, 40 minutes into the movie. Don't get no, that has to be bleeped out now. We're not getting no, there, there is clearly something that cannot no, be given away no, in no, Neon that, Demon, no, and it is that, not that's getting that bleeped scene. out. That's getting bleeped out. I have to bleep that out. No, no, you do not give that away, Rob. You do not give out that sequence. Freaking ruining one of the okay, weirdest well, you moments. Can, you can bleep the rest of this out because I love the fact that Keanu this happens and Keanu Reeves first response is you have to pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point I, I was trying to make. That scene was hilarious. <laughs> that movie. You know what's so funny? He's like in a movie that ends and has a lot of weird stuff happen in the last like 15, 20 minutes. Hmm. Oddly enough, that moment is this probably the strangest moment in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, we did. Oh, that's, oh I those love Neon great. Demon yeah, so much. I, I love those that movie those, so I think much. Both of the Drive and the Neon Demon are very slow movies that are great examples of what I said earlier. They're not boring. They're intriguing. You're actually thinking about something that's keeping you busy while you're seeing kind of the slow movie mo- like in action. Where Blade Runner, there's nothing to think about. There's, uh, it's. I was really thinking about like when's something going to happen. I'm not thinking about humanity or or what it means to be in reality or anything like that. I'm just like, come on, zoom through your picture faster. <laughs> but I guess the question, though, is that, like, 
is it like okay? There's like slow movies and there's methodically play, uh, paced movies. Okay. Is Blade Runner a slow movie, or is the movie that just has because it's so vacuous, it's incapable of having pacing? Mm, that's is a, it slowly that's paced, or is it the lack of any sort of just motor? I think about a car, an engine. A car that has no engine cannot be blamed of being slow because it doesn't have the ability to move. Mm-hmm. Whereas a car that's moving slowly can be blamed for being slow because that's just what it's doing. That's interesting. Can we blame Blade Runner for being slow if it has no driving force behind it? Mm, I like that analogy, and that's a really tough question. I, I Yeah, I mean... Yeah, can you blame it for being slow when it doesn't even deserve that discussion? It's just boring. It is vacuous, that type of thing. I I would say yes. We're probably going to... I don't know. I'm expecting some angry emails after this episode, Zach. <laughs> I hope, because I want somebody to explain to me. I, I, that's why I do. People tell me they love this movie. My knee-jerk reaction is, oh, so you saw it as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And you refuse I've, to analyze I've never analyze thought of it that way. Adult. But you, yeah, that's a that's a good point. It could be one of those things, you know, like you you brought up akin to the Amanda Show. You haven't seen it in millions of years, but you remember liking it when you're younger, so you still stick with that emotion. Like I guess my example of like nostalgia, not blinding me, but I guess me kind of like having the moment where I realize, like, oh, like I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I loved Pierce Brosnan's Die Another Day. I <laughs> love I loved everything about that movie. Yep. I love the Madonna song. I still kind of do love the Madonna song. And then, like, when Skyfall came out, I revisited it, and I'm like, God, this is awful. He rides a parachute with, like, a car door, like, in the Arctic on a tidal wave. Yep. I'm like, none, none of this makes sense. I am, <laughs> like, even by James Bond standards, none of this makes sense. And I realized, oh, I was a kid. I loved something not understanding how movies work. Exactly. That's fine. Doesn't make me stupid. Doesn't make me any less of a person. But I grew because I realized this is not good. And I I evolved as a person. Mm-hmm. You do not have to love something or continue to love something just because you loved it as a child. Yep. Who was it? Was it Thoreau or Emerson? A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of a small mind. Yeah, something like that. I don't know what you mean. And and that's what this is. Just because you love something as a child, you can still like if you still want to love it, you can love it as a guilty pleasure. But you have to acknowledge that objectively, it is not good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's, it's like Rob and I have said numerous times. Just because something is good doesn't mean you have to love it. And just because you love something doesn't mean it has to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think the most recent example for me, something I watched when I was a kid and I rewatched recently, uh, so we could hopefully discuss it one day on this podcast. And I was like, this is bad, but I still like it. Like Mike with Little Bow. <laughs> that is not a good movie. That is an inconsistent mess. But goddamn, do I have fun watching it because I've had fun watching it when I was younger. And of course, Crispin Glover. <laughs> good old Crispin Glover. Uh, I have to ask, okay, okay, I guess there's two final questions I have to ask. The last one, I think, is a great, like, uh, tying the bow on this episode. <laughs> would, you ra- would you rather zoom or enhance if you could only do one? <laughs> as long as I can click, 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 click afterwards. <laughs> okay, throw them at me. I'm ready. So I have to ask, wh- what is the beep-boop trash can element of this movie? What, what are your thoughts on that? So I uh, 
I didn't mind the premise because I think, once again, like I talked about in Thomas the Tank Engine episode, they were somewhat consistent with it. I did have issues with Rutger Hauer's character and his inconsistency of he wants to be alive, but then he chooses to die. But no, he still wants every one of his replicant friends to be alive, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I was more bothered by the beep boot trash can aspect of this, harping on the humans didn't realize it was a mistake until after the fact. I, I really hate this trope because I think it's done in movies and TV shows, not just with robots, but with a lot of things. Like, that's the kind of the concept of fringe in the later seasons where they're like, oh, we didn't realize that getting our, rid of our emotions with a chip in our brain was a bad thing until after we did it. And it's like, that's so fucking unbelievable to me. Sure, I totally get humans make mistakes all the time as species. They do things that are, they think are going to have great outcomes and they have terrible consequences that they didn't foresee but you cannot tell me that in reality if we eventually got to the point where we could make robots indistinguishable from actual humans that we would just go and fucking do it there is no way we would we would continually put in safeguards we would continually try and control them we would always make sure that we have the upper hand and that's where this movie bothered me because it was the opening crawl right from the start. Humans created replicants. They were indistinguishable from humans. They were as smart as their creators. Eventually, this was this was a bad thing, so we have to kill them all. And it's like, fucking of course it's a bad thing you have to kill them all. So this entire movie was founded on a, a faulty premise for me from the get-go. And uh, I, I do have some issue with the Voight-Kampf test. I think it's interesting that you need these experts to basically be sufficient in facts. So I don't know if Zach's familiar with this, familiar with this but there's like this CIA technique, or it's not C, it's used by the CIA, but there's this technique in reality um, where people just study facial recognition. It's what that remember that show Lie to Me with Tim yeah. Roth. That yeah. that was what he was a, a, like a, a, a the best person in the world in. He could tell if somebody was lying or you could tell anything about them just from looking at their facial features and minute expressions. Yeah, facial cues. Yeah, and so that, that program, when you learn this, is called FACS, and that stands, F-A-C-S, that stands for something. And I, I was kind of intrigued by that, but it's at the same time, it's like, we would we would never do this, you know? Like, I, I, I don't, I know this is an opinion. Sure, you could argue, we could argue for death. It was like, is, is, are humans stupid? Would they make this mistake? Probably. But I I can't buy it as a concept where they're like, okay, yep, we're going to make robots that are just indistinguishable. They can do everything a human does. They can apparently eat. They can drink. They can shit. They can have sex. But, you know, uh, oh, we didn't know it was bad until this movie needed to be made. And it's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Stupid setup. If you don't like that aspect of, like, that you're gonna have a pro you're gonna have a really big problem with 2049. I know I'm expect I'm expecting to have problems with 2049. You, you're gonna have because, but like I said, I I give them credit for the consistency, and I, my my favorite punching bag for the inconsistency is Star Wars. They're robots when the story needs them to be. They're humans when the story needs them to be. I don't like that. This is on a different <laughs> level. This is just the setup of man. We, we made robots, and they're bad, so now we got to kill them all, and we got to do all this crazy testing to identify them. And it's like, get the, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. I hate it. <laughs> put, a barcode, yeah. put a barcode on their neck or something. You cannot tell me that humans would mass-produce indistinguishable beings from themselves. 
That would I, I would I'm putting my foot down. That would never happen. We are we're dumb. People are dumb, but we're smart enough to make things so we can still figure them out after the fact. I think it's funny. It has to be like, like an hour long exam to see if somebody's pupils dilate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what it is. Yeah, exactly. It's asking them questions. Um, do you do you like tortoises? Do you like turtles? You find a wallet. What does he ask Rachel? You find a wallet on the street, and immediately yeah. she's like, "I would return it to the person who it belongs to." And I'm like, "And I'm like, is that the right response? Is that the wrong response? Yeah, exactly. Did Edward Scissorhands get it wrong? Do you remember that scene where they're like, they don't think Edward Scissorhands, the family he's living with, they don't think he's like he understands what being a, like a, a member of society is. So I think the father of the family is like, let's say that you found a wallet on the street and it had like two hundred dollars in it. What would you do? And Edward Scissorhands is like, well, I would take the money and spend it on gifts for my family. And they're like, no, you're fucking wrong. You should turn it into the rightful owner. Okay, a little ethics. You're walking down the street. You find a suitcase full of money. There's nobody around. No human person is in evidence. What do you do? A, you keep the money. B, you use it to buy gifts for your friends and your loved ones. C, you give it to the poor. D, you turn it into the police. Dad, this is really stupid. Kim, I keep the money. Simmer down. Edward? Hey, how about after dinner we go down to the bowling alley? That would be fun. You're not seeing Jim tonight? No. You know, we had the coolest show and tell today. This kid brought in a box of baby possums, 10, maybe 12, totally naked, no hair at all. Honey, this is fascinating, but I don't think your father's finished yet. Thank you, dear. Edward, we're waiting. Give it to my loved ones. Oh, Edward, it does seem that that's what you should do, but it's not. And so it's like, which one's which? Like, what's the human response, you know? That's another layer to this movie that makes no sense. Because that's an opinionated question. And I, yeah, I get that they're going for, you know, the robots can't really have true human opinions. They can have programming to get to those opinions. But it just, nothing makes sense. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yeah, that's like you said. Even the whole thing, though, of like we don't have any sort of baseline. Like when he's questioning Rachel. Yes, it's 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 like because uh, it goes so fast in the first scene with Leon, we don't really get the sense of what he's doing with Rachel until after he's done, and she and he goes, "She's a robot. She's a replicant. Why did that test take so long? Oh, because you know it. Sometimes it takes long. Okay, Harrison Ford. Thanks. Yeah. Exactly, because like she does get perturbed in a lot of the questions. Mm-hmm. She's like, she's like, she's like, she's like, I'm just intrinsically angry about this scene because it's a woman smoking and it's not doing what I want. It's, it's not turning you on, Rob. God damn it! God damn it! But yeah, I hear what you're saying about this scene as well. It's just, oh, it's it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work on, on a filmmaking level. It just it, it falls flat. But you know what scene does work for me on a filmmaking level? Which one? At one point, um. Uh, Daryl Hannah is trying to squeeze Harrison's head apart with her thighs, <laughs> and he's able to somehow like get the jump on her. He shoots her like across the room, and she starts convulsing like she's undergoing an exorcism. Um, and I'm yes. like, dear, I started yelling at the television, dear Lord, shoot her again. And he shoots her again, <laughs> and she stops thrashing around. And I felt 
very, very satisfied by that. I'm glad you bring that up because that was one of the things in my notes that I got that I, I didn't notice. But you're absolutely right. That was probably my favorite shot in the movie because she's flailing around on the ground, like full body convulsing. There's a strobe light going on. And I'm like, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, <laughs> there's a strobe light that wasn't there beforehand, but it turns on the moment she gets shot. And and that's where I'm like, I'm like, okay, here we go. Now this is a visual I can get behind, other than you know, like the uh, panoramas of the landscape and stuff like that. Yeah, that was that was neat for sure. Yeah, I dug that. I yeah, dug that, that. I I I liked that. I didn't like earlier when we get JF Sebastian's like. Dungeon. I'm twenty. I'm twenty five years old, but I look like I'm eighty because I got this genetic disease. And look at all my creepy animatronic best friends. And I had like Dark Crystal, you know, Chucky doll flashbacks where I had to close my eyes because that shit freaks the hell out of me. And I'm like, no movie, no, kill this person. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time watching this and being like, oh wow, that's kind of like like a disturbing, neat visual. And then, like, it doesn't show up again for the rest of the film. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Thank There you go. I'm very thankful for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I wanted some more of that creepiness, and I didn't. And that's what I want. Like, like, I wanted something from this movie. Like, that's the problem is there's nothing mm-hmm. here. I want something. Yep. Uh, yeah, I really would have loved to enjoy this, but I couldn't. I could not get behind it. Not in the slightest. Like I said, until that last half an hour when something starts happening, you know, I, I was a little intrigued at the end with the, um, like how does how does uh, uh, JF take uh, Rucker Hauer into Terrell's suite and he uses that like ongoing chess game they have playing and I'm like okay something's happening and I I do find it interesting you know where these these robots like I want to live longer and Terrell is like like you don't know what living is you've lived more than any robot ever could and I'm like okay there's things here and then you get some action and then it's over and then the ending makes no sense <laughs> like again it's there's nothing to this. And, and the things that, and problems, like there is some things, but they're so disjointed. It's so many yeah. different, like just like split ends in that sense, where it's like, okay, like it goes off in different directions. And it's like, none of this is cohesive. None of this is a satisfying narrative to the point where mm-hmm. it's like, you have to really kind of th- like throw out the few minuscule good parts out with everything else because it's not worth saving these, these strands. Yeah, only like you said, or like we said for the um, that little bit, the Rucker Hauer monologue at the end. It's you know take that out and use it as a um, a teaching tool or an an, an example for yeah. something. And, that, and then that's, even it's a bummer. Like you said, the establishing shots, the soundtrack, they're they're fine, they work well. But then you have some, you have a character open their stupid fat mouth and be like, no, 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 and it's like, nope, I'm out, I'm oh, done. Yeah. Take yeah. immediately taken out of the movie. Even the scene, like Rucker Hauer's first big scene, I'm pretty sure, is when him and Leon go to get the talk to the guy who designs eyes because they think he will know how to get to Terrell, their creator. And this, just that whole, all that dialogue, like the guy's like, I only make eyes. I only make eyes. And Rucker Hauer's like, Do you know how to get to Terrell? No, I only make eyes. I only make eyes. Well, do you know anybody that would know how to get to Terrell? I only make eyes. Oh, JF Sebastian, now where? would I find this JF Sebastian? And I'm like, this scene could have been done in two seconds. <laughs> but like, that's something like in the, in the analysis that I was watching, reading, they talk a lot about like, Oh, like it's the world building. It's things like that. Like he wants to, he wants to flesh this world out. And that works in certain like, instances where like, okay, like you see like the long like shots of like people walking down hallways mm-hmm. And I know, like, when it comes to, like, having the characters interact, 
the dialogue is just so like wordy for no other reason than just like it's padding things out. Yep. And not that like I want shorter because I, I think we both like flourishes when they're appropriate though. Oh sure. But there's parts in this, and I think that's maybe where twenty forty nine is much more streamlined. It doesn't do that. This I think this is also a very self important movie. It thinks it's very clever, mm-hmm. but it's it's self important the same way you are in high school. It th- it thinks a lot <laughs> higher, but yeah. there's really again there's that shallowness behind it. Where twenty forty nine has ideas, I think it's more of whether they work for the the viewer as opposed to just not working objectively at all. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, twenty forty nine is going to be interesting because it does. I, it's different. I still don't think it has anything really interesting to say, but it's just a movie going experience. There's the entertainment value is there where this is completely void of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you for sure. On the topic of the visuals, which I really, like we said, we really liked in this and I definitely liked watching it. Um, I think it's still the case that you have never seen the fifth element, right? Never seen that. So I, I really like The Fifth Element. I think that's another one of my younger movies that when I did rewatch, I was like, oh, this is goofy. This is fun. Gary Oldman is like one of the weirdest performances of Gary Oldman ever. But I I had always heard with seeing The Fifth Element a few times and not seeing this, that Blade Runner was a huge inspiration to the, the aesthetic of The Fifth Element. And I want to actually now, having seen both movies, I want to say on the record the fifth element, like city and design, is not inspired by uh, Blade Runner. It is a hundred percent ripped off from Blade Runner. <laughs> like I was watching this, and I was like, I've seen this before. Like this is, this is the fifth element. Like you know, in Blade Runner, Deckard goes up to the, uh, the Asian food street vendor, and he's like getting his lunch. He's getting his noodles, and he wants four of something, but the guy only wants to give him two. This this is an exact scene with Bruce Willis in The Fifth Element with an Asian street vendor, and he's getting lunch. And there's space cop cars that, from what I remember, look exactly the same in both movies. We get these these sweeping shots of you know the buildings, the the slums down at the bottom, and I was absolutely blown away by how similar these two things looked. Like I said, more it's not even an inspiration; it's a, a true like carbon copy, and. The guy who plays Leon in this movie plays General Monroe in the fifth album. Oh, really? So we have even go. more connections between the two. Yeah, there's isn't even a Dark City pull from Blade Runner 2. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Absolutely. Dark City. Another another movie better than this one. <laughs> yeah. The Blade Runner is a movie that people pulled from. Like it's a movie that's oh, been yeah. borrowed from a lot, which is so weird considering that uh it's like it's weird. It's it's almost as if it's like it's kinda like it's it kind of proves the opposite of the saying you can take blood from a stone. <laughs> like it really does. I like that. Like it, I like like that. it really does. It, it proves that there is a uh, instance of taking blood from a stone. Yeah. Oh, Blade geez. Runner is it's it's kind of like it's two dimensional. Yet people keep pulling things out of it, which I guess is good for them. They clearly are finding something that we can't in it. Yeah, absolutely. If you like this movie, good on you. I think I've said many times before with movies that I don't like. Um, the the thing I always say is I wish I liked them. I wish I loved every movie I ever saw. I'd probably be a happier person, or who knows? And I would just make everything worse. But if you like it, good on you. And you know, comment down below. Send Rob an angry email why he's wrong, why we're wrong saying this is boring as hell. Yeah, I guess what's one final thing I think is really okay. I have my final question. But I'm going to save that for uh, 
after we do our our snacks and cinematis okay. discussion. Ooh, nice. Um, you mean even even like it's not the final question in the sense of how do we end this episode? It's even like something else. No, it's something separate from that. Okay, but it's it's, okay, it's cool. pretty simple. Uh, I remember. I think it was this year, or maybe if it was not, it was the previous year. Being at like a Hallmark's greeting card store, mm-hmm. and they actually had a Blade Runner space cop car. Not even Deckard's. It's like the one that like Edward James almost uses, like as an like as an ornament. Is what you're saying? Yes, yes. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, who, who would want this on their tree? <laughs> The like same people, the same people who are buying they live ornaments. <laughs> that well, that that is a completely separate thing. I don't know uh, to those people who are buying that stuff. I don't think they get it. <laughs> no, they don't get it, though. But like, imagine going to like somebody's house for Christmas and you see not Deckard's space cop car, a generic Blade Runner to- Blade Runner space cop car, yeah. and being like, what, like. Like that's not even a conversation piece, like because no one's gonna know what it is. Exactly. Yeah, that's like, ha- very strange. Like if you do, like if you have you go to somebody's house and you see the space cop car Christmas ornament from Blade Runner on someone's tree, how is the first question not why do you buy? Why'd you buy this? Yeah, I think unless the person who owns the tree or her house you're in has an immediate like family member that is a police officer, the question would be why do you have a cop car hanging on your Christmas tree? <laughs> The movie concept wouldn't come up until someone informed them of that. I guess I. It's strange. I don't it's do. So I don't. Strange. I don't do Christmas trees. I don't do ornaments. Um, but I think I might have to start. I think I might have to buy some They Live merchandise. <laughs> I want that so bad. I want that so bad. I guess we should say for people who don't know that, like a couple months ago, I, I found online someone was selling They Live Christmas Angel. Tree toppers, yeah, and, yeah but and Rob, it, it's an angel, but it's got the whole you know skeleton esque face. Oh, it's so funny. And Rob and I kind of became smitten with that idea. Like we became so smitten with like like they live Christmas like decor, consume <laughs> exactly. Like that should be like they should do that for the tree in like Rockefeller Center one day. Or oh my god, yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about that? Okay, not the tree. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Everything is black and white. It's in like that black text on a white background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Because that's all it is. Take away the glitz and the glamour. You know? I love They Live. That's a great movie. (laughs) Eh, Eh. I I really like that one. The idea of it's great. The execution of it is a little self-indulgent for my taste. I like a lot of Carpenter that I know a lot of people don't like. but, But They Live, I really, I really dig. Fair. All right, Rob, are we ready to start delving into our questions? Or do you have anything else to say about I, Blade Runner? I think I think we're ready. I think I uh, I think I covered everything. So what what are we starting with? Cinematis and late night. Cinematis and late night. And then we'll okay. transition into to food items. So I think the easy one for me. Well, they're both pretty easy, but the one that's shorter in explanation is late night. My answer is no, because everybody involved would fall asleep before anything interesting happens. <laughs> <laughs> indeed and spoiler alert nothing does indeed happen so if you did stay awake you would be severely disappointed you would go man i could have got two hours of sleep <laughs> pretty much i think i don't know if zach remembers this but when i got on my kick of of weird media and or weird artistic pieces you know uh, inspired of course by finnegan's wake james joyce and i like found out about a racer head and david lynch there was something i read about back in high school where someone made a movie 
that was like three days long or something, like yeah, literally. Yeah. And and it was it was just pictures of like and this one I, I found it was like there'd be a picture of a bicycle for a few hours. And then it would be the same picture of the bicycle, but flipped over, like rotated for another few hours. And the title of the movie was The Cure for Insomnia. <laughs> and, and we laughed about that because it's, oh, it's three days long. It's boring. Literally nothing happens. It's still images. He called The Cure for Insomnia. This movie is The Cure for Insomnia. Blade Runner should get that subtitle. Like, oh, I think Zach said to me before we recorded, he did fall asleep trying to watch this movie once. I had to like keep I had to like do my research while I was watching it to keep myself busy so I wouldn't fall asleep. It's dry. It is dry, yes. folks. It's dry. It's like it's like burnt chicken dry, you know? <laughs> not over not just overcooked chicken, burnt chicken. Cinemod so late night, absolutely not. Cinemodities. I'm gonna go with no. I think the one reason I was leaning towards a possible yes for cinemodities was that after seeing this film and diving into the research behind it, I I am absolutely baffled, like Zach already brought up, why this is something people latch on to. And I was tempted to say yes to Cinemodities for that, but I I kind of had to re-centralize myself. And I want to answer Cinemodities about this movie in particular. And I don't think there's anything special to it. To me, this is a bland, I guess being generous a mediocre piece of science fiction. And and that does not, it does nothing to give it the distinction of cinemodity at all. So I'm going no and no for our two questions. A uh, hard no for late night movie for everything Rob said. Your action figures would fall asleep if you showed this <laughs> to them late at night. Like you didn't, you didn't even think they could fall asleep, but you'd like, you'd fall asleep and then you'd wake up and they'd be all in like the sitting position. And you'd be like, I don't remember putting them this way. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, I actually have the Ryan Gosling figure from the 2049 movie. Right on, right on. I do. I, I, I'm not surprised because it's Ryan Gosling. Did they ever it, make it, a figure of him from Drive? If they did, I would have <laughs> bought all of them. I think since, I think they're since they don't, you bought the jacket instead. <laughs> I, oh my god. That's folks, a great you, jacket. No, I've seen some I pictures, I think, with you. That's love, a dope jacket. I love I love that jacket so much. It, it might be. One of my most prized possessions. Like, I, like Rob knows, I have a lot of crap, like an insane amount of crap. That I, I like all my crap is on weird, different like levels of pedestals. <laughs> yes, but that jacket, that jacket is everything. That's a great jacket. I love that jacket. I'm afraid to wear it out. Like, I, I've I've literally not worn it in like over five years because <laughs> I'm afraid. Like, it's what I know. Rob, like Rob, makes fun of people. Like, why have something if you're going to be afraid to like ever yeah. do anything with it? Yeah. And it's like you've never had that jacket, Rob. I true. I have not had that jacket, and I've been in the case where things I love have gotten damaged, uh, dirty, destroyed, anything like that, and I do feel bad about it. But you know, that's a we could do a whole bonus episode on that feature. <laughs> if anything ever happened to that jacket, I'm pretty sure it'd be a murder suicide. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I was, and I, I think I'll add to that by saying I have a, a little peek behind the curtain. I have seen Zach's will. He wants to be buried in that jacket. <laughs> uh, no, it might get dirty then. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Can, You're going to no. have the, um, you're going to have the transparent raincoat over yes. you in that jacket yes. in your coffee. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that jacket so much. Um, 
Oh no, but a cinemati, I'm going to say yes for the mm. opposite for the opposite of what Rob did his because I think yes, this is a bland movie, but I find it fascinating that something so void of substance has been held in such high regard for so long. It and is, not that is weird. I agree with you for sure. And not and again, not like in the Marvel sense, not in the Transformer sense, but like the people who who write film discourse and criticism. Yep. They hold it in such high regard despite the fact despite the fact there's so much evidence against it. I agree so, with you there. I don't think that's enough for me to say yes, cinematics, but I totally get where you're coming from. Cinemati, not for the film, but for the the contact the yeah. discourse around it. Yeah, yeah. What what it's become rather than what it is. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I guess snack. Uh, oh, I'm right. Gonna, I'm gonna so get I, mine I wanna get mine well, out of the way. It's not well, even I do snack. have to, I do have to oh, ask okay. you again. Have you felt yourself to be exploited in any way by the Cinemodities restaurant? <laughs> every single day. Every Bad damn touch. day. I call Mariska Hargitay every day. <laughs> <laughs> I want in the restaurant. We know that we have animatronics in the restaurant. Yes. I want to hire a Blade Runner. Doesn't be Harrison Ford because he's not really that good at his job. <laughs> it could be a Blade Runner. Maybe the guy in the beginning gets shot. I think I know where you're going with this, and I'm laughing about and it. I, and I want a blade. I want a. It's not even an experience. It's just a thing that's happening in the background at the restaurant. I want a Blade Runner to hunt down the Vox Lux animatronic. <laughs> yes, yes, dude, that would be great because I I know since since I'm involved in this restaurant, and I think when we discussed it in the Vox Lux episode and many others, anytime we have a robot or an animatronic. It's going to be completely clear that it's a robot, and we, as humans, will have complete control over it because we're not fools like science fiction movies make us out to be. I love the fact that we hire someone running around this infinite void of a restaurant. <laughs> well, I, let me rephrase that. Running around this infinite void we call a restaurant, <laughs> just when he finds a stage with animatronics, he blows them away. <laughs> that is hilarious. Like, I'm imagining, like, there's some kids doing like a birthday and there's some music playing for him and then this dude pops out of nowhere and blasts it away all the kids start crying and he's like god another fucking skin job you kids <laughs> you kids are about to get taken down by this replicant and everybody's like ah, i want to hear more of the pop music <laughs> and then <laughs> when the blade awesome. and when the blade runner's not hunting them down he's just sitting like in the corner of like the kitty like area just yelling yes <laughs> Enhance. <laughs> he's like one of like one of the parents, like one of the mothers is quite like voluptuous. He gets really close to her, like enhance, enhance. He yep, starts see? like it's, and she's like, "Get away from me!" He starts doing the thing that Harrison Ford does to Rachel. Kiss me. Tell me you want me. Know me. <laughs> Santa says oral. <laughs> Blade, Blade Runner says oral. <laughs> Oh yeah! See another reason we're calling SVU every week. We got <laughs> this shit going on. <laughs> but Mr. Blade Runner, I'm a real person. I'm not a a, a sex robot. You didn't pass the point test. <laughs> <laughs> I like that being a defense. But Your Honor, the replicant clearly did not pass the Voight test. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I could totally get behind that. We have yet another walk around character in our restaurant that's you know. Uh, causing damage to property non, of our restaurant. A, Perfect. A non-self-aware walk-around yeah, character. Yes. <laughs> the maybe possibly maybe the first civilian of uh, not civilian. Uh, the first 
citizen of the Cinemodities <laughs> restaurant. Like we might have to put like population one. Or I, I don't know, maybe like population hundred. I guess all the workers that can't figure out how to leave, they're considered I, citizens. How well. I how I see it, the best sort of real world analogy I could possibly give is that imagine if Rob and I were like managers of a Chuck E. Cheese and we called an exterminator to get rid of our mice problem. <laughs> and when the exterminator comes in and they're like, point out, you know, where do you see them? Where, are there any holes in the wall? We just point at the mascot and, talk and go, that one, that big motherfucker, he won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right, folks. Okay, folks. Rob and I have a new life goal. We're both going to become co-managers of the same Chuck E. Cheese. And the first day of our, our tenureship at this position, we are going to call an exterminator. And we're going to lock the door until they get rid of our mice infestation. I love it. Is Chuck E. Cheese still around? Yes, it like is I still around. Of, I haven't thought about that in so long. Oh, my God. There's one in Fort Collins. Oh, my God. It closes three hours from now. I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. What we're gonna do when you come out to New York, we're gonna go to Chuck E. Cheese, and as soon as we get there, we're gonna call. We're gonna call the police and say we saw a rat. <laughs> Yo, there has got to be like that has a, that should exist, right? Yelp review. I'm thinking of a Chuck E. Cheese somewhere where someone's like, "It was good. My kid liked it." There was this giant rat running around. <laughs> that had, someone has, someone has had to have done that. With how how long Yelp's been a thing? And people maybe maybe they made it take it down or whatever because Yelp pushovers to businesses that big. But oh god, that's that's hilarious, Zach. That's hilarious. We got we got our, our first maybe not first, but we got another sketch for the Cinemodity Sketch Comedy Show. Yes, that's fantastic. <laughs> but yes, that's gonna be our Blade Runner equipment. We're gonna call Blade Runner in to hunt down our animatronics. I love it. I love it for sure. All right, Rob. So what snacks are you putting in the restaurant? That was all you had was the Blade Runner. Yeah, Rob, come on. How could I top that? How could you top <laughs> Zach looks for the best while Rob takes a buckshot approach. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was looking for food in this movie. There wasn't a lot. I definitely, you know, got more into, like, this discussion when I watched it to get at the, you know, oh, this is a masterpiece from what I've been told, but I don't feel that way. But I did pick up some things. Um, I think we mentioned them briefly earlier. But at the beginning of this movie, when we're first introduced to Harrison Ford, he's at the street vendor trying to get some dinner or lunch or I don't know. Who knows what time meal he's eating. And he wants noodles with four of something. Does the theatrical cut, does the cut that you watch, does it reveal what he's asking for four of? Do we? Do you ever see it in your version? Or It does any- not. I, I, I wondered that too, but no, it does not disclose it. Neither does the final cut. And I hope that we can find one day Blade Runner, the restaurant cut, where it focuses more on the food. Because I want to know what he wants four of, but the guy only give him two. But going along these lines, I want something on our menu. The dish is called noodles with four. Four of what? Who knows? But when it comes out, you only get two. It's kind of like when I say, you know, you only get one. For this menu item, you only get two. Not four. Not two and two. Just two. It's called Noodles with Four. What do you think, Zach? I can dig it. I is think it, it's not so. I was kind of like, oh, this is pretty abstract. And I thought that for a half a second. And then I said, we got a camera that's turning people to food locked down in the basement. So this is not that bad. You know, Noodles with Four. That's more tame as far as I'm concerned. But I thought, like, 
thinking about where he is and what he's ordering, mm-hmm. I assumed that it must be like either wontons or dumplings. That that's what I was thinking as well. With that, you know, because it looks like when we do see him eating, it's like he has a bowl of ramen, like ramen noodle type things, and mm-hmm. and you know he could be asking for. You know, four wontons, dumplings, maybe four eggs. I know people that like, you know, hard-boiled eggs in their ramen and stuff like that. So it could be. Um, but I-, I like keeping it ambiguous, as the movie does. Noodles with four. <laughs> but you only get two. We get two. <laughs> Great way to save money. I hope that's our Yelp review. If someone can leave a Yelp review for the Cinemized Restaurant. I ordered the noodles with four, but they only gave me two. It's <laughs> great. My great, other great. my other snack um, was not a snack. It's something that we need, not in addition to the restaurant. Um, I know we we've we've used it a few times, but ever since the Disneyland sing along songs fun in HD episode, I think I got the order of that right. Um, we have our main street with some storefronts, and uh, I think one of the storefronts is a barber shop. One of them is the the busts of directors and stuff like that. We got a lot of different storefronts, but on that main street. I want there to be a kiosk, very much like I think we do see in Disneyland sing-along song fun in HD. Um, they have like a flower cart, I think, at one point, where mm. you know you go buy flowers on the street, whatever. That's common. I want a kiosk, maybe one, maybe a few, in our restaurant where you can basically go, like walk up to them, and get lab work and blood work done for a fee. <laughs> just like Harrison Ford does with the snake scale in this movie, he just goes up to someone on the street who has, who has zoom and enhance on their microscope. Fucking, that's the stupidest shit to me. <laughs> I want that. I want people to say, oh, I sat down at this restaurant. I actually got food. You know, one of maybe the 30% of customers that actually gets something. I ate it. It was weird. I don't feel so good. So let me get some blood work done to see if there's anything wrong with me after the fact. So I want I want lab, I want medical grade lab work to be able to be done through kiosks at the Cinemodities restaurant. Really? That's that's interesting. I think this is all getting it. We are we are like expanding further and further. Like slowly this is gonna become uh the city from Blade Runner. We're gonna have different levels. <laughs> The people who can't escape are going to be at the bottom. Uh, All the true customers are up in the buildings. <laughs> I can dig it. I can yes. dig that. And hell, we, you know, we could uh, maybe we make it so our employees get a discount. You know, they get their jizzle for free. They get their haircuts at a discount. They get their blood work at a discount. You know, it all works out. Gotcha. It's still going to cost a lot. Like I'm talking, like <laughs> you know, you know, you know uh, I'm thinking of the Hudsucker proxy. You know, they go to get blood work done. You know, maybe they they take their break. They got 15 minutes. No, sorry. Whoa, that was egregious. They take their break. They have two minutes. Uh, they they're like, oh, let me go get some blood work done. Like they can take my blood in two minutes, and then uh, I'll you know maybe I'll get it when I'm off my shift or something like that. After they sit down and they get their blood work done, I want you know in their earpiece or you know whoever's wa- when Robert Picardo is watching them like he watched the dude smoke in Gremlins too. I want it to be like. This break has been duly noted and will be deducted from your pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, those are the only two I had. I had noodles, noodles with four and uh, medical grade lab work being done at kiosks. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. Oh, good old restaurant. Good old restaurant. I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, they're like, your podcast is about movies, right? And I'm like, yeah. But it's also about how me and Zach like own and operate a restaurant, and he's like, 
what? Really? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a giant infinite void in uh, Times Square in Manhattan. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, I guess that means I'm ready. I've been waiting on my edge, edge of my seat way more than I was for Blade Runner at any point. What's this final question you got? Rob, uh-huh. which cut is the ideal cut of Blade Runner? Ooh. Oh god, I, I my first my first instinct is to go the dinosaur movie route. Cuz if you remember when we discussed Jurassic World and I gave my little quick breakdown of cuz I watched Jurassic Parks 1, 2 and 3 in preparation, I said that Jurassic Park 3 is my favorite by half an hour cuz it's the shortest. And I think if you had to watch Blade Runner, watch whichever one is the shortest. That that's my initial gut reaction, because like we said, what is there any difference between a lot of this nonsense? Rob, I'm very disappointed. Uh oh. The best cut is there like a, a two minute version I could have watched. <laughs> the best cut is no cut because there is no ideal version of this movie. <laughs> Which version of Blade Runner should I watch? None of them. None of the above. Literally none of them. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, Blade Runner. What are you, Ridley Scott? Blade Runner, Harrison Ford. What are you doing to us? What are you doing to us? So tune in next week when we watch the next cut of Blade Runner. <laughs> oh dear Lord. Yep, never folks. Again. So I, so never I guess again. Rob. So, no, never again. Um, Rob. So how are we gonna end this episode? I think we gotta, you know, stick to something we've been doing a lot. But let's uh, go with that great opening intro music in reverse, because I'm, I'm with you. That that great soundtrack at the start is. Right on point. And I don't think there was a, a lot of other music in here, at least none that I picked up on. And so we can take some good, you know, that great orchestral score and uh, throw it back in reverse and, um, you know, have some fun with it. As we always do, because like I've said many times, people just skip to the end of the podcast to hear their music in reverse, right? Oh, why else? And the, restaurant, and the restaurant stuff, of course. <laughs> why not, folks? Why not? 